Hey folks, welcome to the Music of the Spheres podcast. We are broadcasting tonight from somewhere deep in the hills of upstate New York. Wherever, whenever, and however you're listening, we thank you for being a part of our universe. We are two brothers, bivocational ministers, seekers of truth, and drinkers of yellow beer. And this is episode number 51. We've started the second half century of episodes of the Music of the Spheres podcast. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing well. Doing all right, Jay? Yeah. Lila, how are you? Well, well. I'm back. We have the middle schooler back live in studio. In studio. In the flesh. That's good. We're excited to have her here. And uh, she's going to share a mind of the middle schooler with us in just a moment. And uh, (laughs) we're always happy to have you. Maybe she'll give you a little bit of update on what's going on. It's been a while since she's been live in the studio. Do you remember the last? Yeah, because someone can't figure out their schedule. (laughs) She hasn't gotten any less sassy, though. That's that's for sure. <laughs> uh, do you remember the last time she was on live with us? When that when that was? I don't know. <laughs> what episode was that? Maybe somebody can tell us. I don't even remember. Well, anyway, it's lovely having you here with us, Lila. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, all right, so we're going to kick off tonight's episode with... Um, our astrology review and so uh, this episode is going to be aired on wednesday december the 13th so it'll be a, a waxing crescent on that day and the moon will be in sagittarius of all things mm. which that's uh that's my sign i'm sagittarius go. yeah which is a good uh when the moon is in sagittarius it's good for the liver the hips the thighs and the sacrum so there you go. Okay. Which, you know, it's all, always good to have healthy hips, as they mm-hmm. say. <laughs> and livers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So that's, uh, that's the moon update for uh, Wednesday, December the 13th, a waxing crescent with the moon in Sagittarius. So given that the moon is in Sagittarius, here is, uh, according to the Hindustan Times, the uh, Sagittarius horoscopes. So, Jason, you get to pick uh, two again of these. You get the health, mm-hmm. money, career, and love horoscopes for Sagittarius. Which ones do you choose? Um, we didn't do money last time. So. No, it didn't do money. No. And uh, let's go money and career. Money and career. I'm right, just keeping keeping it professional tonight. We, aren't yeah, you? <laughs> we did the other two last time. So, Lila, do you want to hear either of the other two, the love horoscope or the uh, health horoscope for Sagittarius? Um, wait, aren't you Sagittarius? I am. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, these will all pertain to him. <laughs> yeah, all in all of his walks of life, <laughs> all of his multiple personalities. I don't. I don't, I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> you want me to read the love one? <laughs> Whatever you want. No, it's up to you. I'm just going to do the ones Uncle Jay wants, unless you want an extra one read. <clears throat> oh, wait, what ones are there? Uh, Uncle Jason picked career and money, but there's also love and health. Um, I don't know. Read all of them. Oh, okay. You want to read all of them. All right. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. This is the money horoscope for Sagittarius for roughly this date or whenever you listen to it. Just apply it then. It's the universe speaking to you through a podcast. (laughs) The planetary constellation might affect your financial standing today. 
suggesting careful scrutiny before indulging in any significant transactions. Always wise. Yes. <laughs> Indulge. That's what I call it. Now, what did you do today? I indulged in significant transactions. Uh, money is coming and plenty of it, but not without a diligent effort on your part. Dang it. <laughs> in investments, adopt a cautious approach and avoid high-risk options. It's an excellent day for budgeting and planning long-term financial goals. So bust out your budget apps and get to work. All right. This is the Sagittarius Career Horoscope. Embrace challenges and approach tasks in innovative ways today, Sagittarius. The stars encourage you to take the risk and plunge into your ambitions. Break the usual patterns at work and explore novel projects or partnerships. Remember, it's your determination and focus that could bring the windfall. However, ensure to keep an eye on your stress level as achieving a balance between your professional and personal life is of utmost importance today. And all days, don't you think? A nice balance between... Yeah. You know, nice work, work if you can get it. All right. Then uh, Lila's requests the health horoscope. Good health is closely knitted to your balanced mental state. And the stars suggest the same. There you go. That's like your stuff, Jay. Uh, Given the dynamism and energy of the day, consider spending time in outdoor activities, keeping fitness as your main priority. With Mars influencing your health sector, try embracing new dietary plans or fitness regimes. Remember, while you conquer various realms today, keep a close watch on stress levels to prevent any health glitches. I hate that little health glitch in the middle of the day. You got to like control out delete. (laughs) <laughs> but does that joke even make it? any sense anymore do people have to do control alt delete anymore? i did in elementary school you did <laughs> yeah. okay so I, I think so i'm still somewhat relevant when i say that yeah <clears throat> was it heath that wrote the lyric uh our friend heath he wrote a lyric one time control alt delete restart my heart <laughs> or was that like one of his geek bands that liked that <clears throat> or wrote that i don't know mm. All right. Well, uh, and lastly, the Sagittarius love horoscope for today. Lila's cringing over there. Hey, I said career and... and uh, Yeah, yeah. And then she said, go for money. all of them. Read them I all. Mean, I mean, <laughs> he picked two. I wanted to pick two, but those are the only two left. Yeah, so. that's true. That's true. Yep. All right. Uh, a fascinating shift is evident in your love life today. Jupiter's alignment might make you yearn for emotional intimacy or inspire you to take your relationship to the next level. If single, be prepared for a sudden encounter that could result in an enchanting love affair. No. <laughs> She's regretting this right now. Enjoy the rush of new experiences and do not let past insecurities impede your romantic voyage. No. Honesty and understanding are needed to navigate through any possible storm. Oh, navigating through the storm. That's all because no. of Jupiter? No. You, yeah. You are, you are not to ever talk to any other woman ever again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, there you have it. That's, um, that's the Sagittarius full, full rundown uh, for this week. Um, you are not shortchanged, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> All right. So, where does that take no. us next? Uh, all right. Next, we've got the... Oh, wait. No. You know no. Said, put it down. Put it down. Give, no. At least give it to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking 
The singing bowl? I'm taking it away. <laughs> wow. Mm. I just had it confiscated. <laughs> that wasn't anywhere in my horoscope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So today, Beware your singing bowl. <laughs> some middle schooler would take, steal it from you. <laughs> today I'm doing something a little different. Um, I did a little research, um, and um, I am going to be talking about how, um, like, the different, so, so, like, some of the rarest things, like, that, uh, that a human can have, um, like, some of the rarest features, um, and, like, the percent of people who have them. All right. So, um, I started with a, um, hold on, it's the... I'm pretty sure it's okay. It's a right-sided heart. So whoa, you mean it's on the other side of the chest cavity? Yeah. <laughs> so um. So it says when someone's asked to swear an oath with a hand over heart, the general idea is to put the right hand over the left side of the chest. For 99% of people, this is absolutely fine. That's the way the heart is pointing. But the other 1% of people can get away with not keeping their word because of a technicality it's called dextrocardia a health line says that and a health line says that while no one's really sure what causes it experts have found that it happens early on in pregnancy and in the development of the body so only one percent of people have a right-sided heart hmm. it's pretty cool one percent though that's actually kind of a lot one out of every hundred people right like yeah how many people are in your middle school lila do you think mm, how somewhere many, around like 500 maybe four or five hundred people probably between the three grades and all the teachers and everything like that yeah that would mean that four or five of those people would have a right-sided heart <sighs> if the wow if the one percent st- statistic is correct that's why i said it sounds like a lot but who knows i've never checked where people's hearts are before <laughs> that would be okay. But, um, <laughs> so here's another, another, um, another rare one, which I didn't even think that was that rare. Uh, if you are a blue-eyed redhead, um, hmm. so okay, so red hair is found is only one percent and two percent or um somewhere between one and two percent of the population has red hair um and only about 17 have blue eyes dad you are part of 17 percent of the population yeah fours like to be unique um okay uh and before my hair turned gray all the gray ones used to be red actually that's that's funny because that's not true (laughs) um there's literally a picture of you on the wall right there yeah I was wearing a white hat. You can't see my hair. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Okay. Um, no, nah, I can still tell. But, um, okay, so they're also recessive, which means that a person would need to inherit the redhead genes and the blue-eyed genes from both parents. Um, so, point. 17% of the world's current residents are both red-haired and blue-eyed. Oh, wow. 
I feel like I have I feel I have like a gut feeling that I've met someone with red hair and blue eyes. Yeah. I don't know why, how, when. Hmm. I just have some sort of feeling that I have. Okay. Um Any questions thus far? Mm, not yet. Nope. <laughs> what, except for what do you got? What else is next? Um Okay, so we just talked about a right-sided heart and red hair and mm-hmm. blue eyes being on the same human. Yeah. You got one more for us? It went stalling, scrolling. <laughs> You're scrolling. <laughs> the play-by-play from the middle schooler. That's a perfect opportunity for me to play the singing bowl. Okay, fine. <laughs> oh wow! I got the I got the green light. I need to practice because I'm kind of not good at it. But <laughs> really, that was a little not better. Bad, not bad. Yeah, better. I'm getting. I'm getting there. Yeah, that was that was good. Um. All right, what do you got for us, Kittle? One more, and then I've got a question for you. All right, so I'm not really finding anything more. Oh, okay. I can just ask but, my question then. Yeah, so that's that's basically it. Um, I'm sure you could find more. If you have any of these rare features or have any others that you know about um, or just have heard of any others or know anybody with some pretty rare features, um, uh, please email the show at brothers at music of the spheres podcast.com. Put in the subject line, which side of your chest, your heart is on. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, so yeah, Maybe we should make everybody that emails the show. Start with that left-sided heart. <laughs> Reminds me of a, uh, a quote from X Men or a line from X Men, and he said that's a very groovy mutation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, Lila, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I think in. Wait, the- hold on. I have a question though. How would you know whether you have a right sided heart or a left sided heart? I don't know. I think sometimes you can like feel your heart beat. Feel it beat. In your in your chest, sometimes I you can, can feel never it. feel a beat. Well, it's really like it's really more in the center, anyway. It's I only like, ever feel a beat in my neck, though. I never have like felt it be in my chest. Yeah, it's only like it's a little just off, center. barely on the left. Yeah, it's not like over here, right? No, yeah, by your, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used to and I say like over here, here to a listen. This is my a listening audience. Heart. I used to think yeah. it was like up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's way up there. Yeah. Gonna be. Careful playing football if it's up there. Um, all right. Uh, so never Lila, have and never will play football. Uh, I'm sorry, football players, but like no. Most most I think most recently when you were on the show, you did a call in, and Uncle Jason asked you the question about um, you know what makes you unique or an individual. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, I, I think kind of like the opposite of that question. What do we have in common? What me what, and you? No, all. Humans. No. Do we? Sh- what? What do we all? What? What do we have in common? Do we have? Do we all human beings have some some stuff in common? Well, I'm trying to think of something that every human being would have to have in order to live. Well, lungs. We all have lungs. Yeah. Yeah. Um. We all have. 
either a mouth or a nose. Most people, yeah. <laughs> well, if you didn't have a mouth and a nose, you wouldn't be able to breathe. Yeah, right. Anything else that we share in common? Um. Oh, I just got a good one. Okay. Love. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> we all have love for each other. Um, we all share the earth. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well. Well, that we know of. Well, we think. I personally believe in extraterrestrial life, but we'll talk about that on a different episode. Um, <laughs> so, well, hold on. Just think about it for a second, though. <laughs> I'm getting off track, but I don't care. Because think about <laughs> She's it. She's hijacking her own segment. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Seriously, though. Because if you think about it, think about how infinite and gigantic freaking enormous this entire like universe is mm-hmm. and how we still think we're the only ones out there like i hope i'm making non-believers believe right now because seriously think about it like okay if there's like probably over like 20,000 billion other planets out there at least one other planet give or take is a few did you <laughs> interrupt me <laughs> sir i was no. uh, emphasizing now she's point. back with a vengeance yeah. doesn't show up here in months and then all of a sudden comes back in here throwing around her weight <laughs> just saying how accurate your numbers were so yeah because yeah. okay huh? okay we mister get we get you it's there's a lot of yeah a lot of possibility for it yeah because yeah. like I understand. I completely understand okay. if you don't believe in it, but like. All right. I have another question. Then, uh, what is a miracle? A miracle. Mm, lots of people think that it's when, um, that it's when like something, um, crazy like, um, <clears throat> like, like when something unusual happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a miracle is when something great, something big, something big and helpful, something big and great and good and stuff like that, um, that happens, I don't know. (laughs) All right. I have no idea. Okay. But are, are they possible in your mind that a miracle can happen? Yes. Okay. Um, could you ever do a miracle? Um, Perform a miracle of, of any kind? Mm, I think anybody can perform a miracle. Okay. If they, um, like, believe that they can and have, like, faith in whatever they have faith in mm-hmm. and have... Uh, love and kindness in their hearts um and i i think anybody could perform a miracle if if it well if i think anybody could perform a miracle yes all right (laughs) well said well said all right um 
Well, thank you, Mind of the Middle Schooler, for uh, your segment, for being here with us. It's always good to have you. Uh, you've got to head off to bed now, so it's time mm-hmm. for you to go. But uh, thanks for being with us. Right, high welcome. five on the way out. And do you want to say any, any goodbyes to your audience? Can't reach you. Okay. Um, to my audience, I may not be back in another four months. So um, don't hold your breath. Soak it all in. <laughs> yes. Right. Maybe we can Soak it all in. Repeat this. Repeat this segment like eighty times. Well, maybe we can keep doing your call-ins on it, though. Yeah? No, I'd rather be here. All right. All right. Well, thanks for coming into the studio tonight. Bye. 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 See you, pal. That's what the guy says on Friends. <laughs> okay. See right. Good night, Lai. Thanks for being here. Bye. All right, Uncle Jay, how you doing? I call you Uncle Jay because she's around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but as soon as you walk out the door, he's just Jason. Yeah. Right. Do I, I lose the title yeah, you when defi- she's not around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you help define who he is. All right, you got to go. Uh, yeah, okay. Bye. I'm not going to shoot, though, because I'm a fly. All right. Does that uh, does that logic follow with like other things? Like if I'm not in a church, am yeah, I not reverend, yeah, <laughs> I'm just yeah. me again. Yeah, you're just pagan, Jason. Then. <laughs> pagan, Jason. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, yeah. Um, and if I'm uh, not around my parents. I'm yeah, not son, Jason. I'm yes, yes, pagan, Jason. Jay, <laughs> no son, <laughs> pagan, Jason. <laughs> Yeah, and when you run out of salsa, pagan Jason. <laughs> I was doing okay, and now, now nothing makes sense. Now I'm everywhere and nowhere and everyone and no one. Uh, yeah, it was, well, it was fun having the uh, middle schooler back on. You know, She, she brings mm-hmm. a different sort of energy to the studio than, than we normally experience. Yeah, felt different in here. That's <laughs> yes. For sure. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, all right, so uh, yeah, but you're doing you're doing well. Yeah, yeah. We're I'm thinking it. about uh, uh, trying a different place to get a haircut. But really, other than Do that, you have a problem with what happened up there? It I'm looks, just like ever since I cut the long hair. Yeah, I'm just like I'm a wanderer, bouncing around. <laughs> I'm a traveler. <laughs> Isn't there a song about that? Space. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it looks pretty good to me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you should know. let me do it. Okay, that's an option. Yes. I have yeah. my I'll use my beard trimmer. You have a beard trimmer? Yeah, it's one of those electric <laughs> Have ones you ever used the... it? <laughs> yes. Oh. What are you saying? <laughs> you put it on the long side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to, you know, this takes a little grooming, yeah. you know. This doesn't well, yeah. just this doesn't just come. <laughs> no. There's some effort behind this. It's not this. like gravy. Yeah. <laughs> But it can get gravy in it sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's a great gravy catcher. Oh, man. That's so anything like that that dries is the worst thing to get in your beard. Oh. You know? Like other stuff, like one of the things that's not actually that bad to spill in your in your beard is like olive oil, you know? You, you want to oil the yeah. beard anyway. <laughs> so you just like rub it around a little bit. And yeah. You're like, yeah, as long as it wasn't like seasoned, like with right. garlic or something. Yeah. And yeah. Then you smell. Maybe a rosemary, yeah, but you not, a, not a garlic. No, you don't want to walk around smelling like garlic bread, but... <laughs> But if it's like just regular olive oil, it's not mm-hmm. that pungent, and it yeah. smooths smooths things out quite nicely. Conditions the skin underneath, mm-hmm. but but you get an egg yolk down in there, Ooh. you know, Ooh. which happens if, if you're not careful with your breakfast sandwich. That's gonna take days to yeah. get out of there. Yep. Yeah, it's just even like a. Do you like carry around with you like a a beard cleaner? I just uh, have a pressure washer in the backseat of my car. <laughs> okay, yeah. I just you know in yeah. case. 
And I just got to hook onto whatever hose I can right. find. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, there've been several times where it's like, yeah, get something in there and it's just not pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the other thing that's not good is like anything sticky, like maple syrup. Oh yeah. Cause you can't, that's really hard to get out. You know, even if you like dab it with a napkin or something like right. that, you have to like full on wash it. You know? you know, that's when you can put on a mask and be like, oh, I got germs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Cover I'm up the beard. <laughs> yeah, stay away from me. <laughs> and if that's the case, though, if I'm that bad on my beard, I just stay home and cancel everything. <laughs> like, nope. Got an egg yolk in there. Going to have to call off this day. <laughs> Dirty beard day. Yeah. yeah. Calling in yoked. I'm yoked today. Um, all right. Well, uh, listener communications, we don't have, um, well, we might have something on the socials, but we did have something in the email. It was, it was an email that the, uh, they said, you, know, you don't, don't have to read this mm-hmm. on the show, but it was just a thank you, uh, which I thought was really cool from a listener that we've actually heard from before. Right. So, uh, we very much, very much appreciate that. So thanks for sending that note. You know who you are. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's always encouraging to hear that, that you're out there listening and, and appreciating, uh, what we're doing, um, it may not sound like it, but we put a considerable amount of effort into the material that we put on the show. Um, you know, we're not professionals by any means, but this stuff is important to us. So it's, it's really fun to have the conversations and to have you along with us for those conversations. So so thanks for those notes. If you are thinking of anything you want to send to the show, just uh, you can shoot us an email. It's at brothers at music of the spheres podcast dot com. Uh, and you can also find us on the socials on um well, uh, Facebook and in Instagram, mm-hmm. right? Are you, do we have anything uh, from our people um, out there? People liked the because we had the Spotify do the the podcast side. Oh, that's right, that's Rapt, right. That was cool, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so just shared a couple of the yeah images they sent us of the stats. Yeah, yeah. From you know from this year, which was yeah. Uh, they didn't do that last year, did they? Or no, because we hadn't probably we, we weren't. We just started data. in September yeah. of last year, so yeah, we only had we only had three months um, in or so. So that was cool to to see. Yeah, you know, we're eight people's number one. I know that's podcast. isn't that like, really that cool? Was cool? Yeah, yeah. Um, and like twenty, wasn't it like twenty five? We're in the top, yeah, like people's top five yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. So that yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, by some standards, those are small numbers, but for us, that seems huge. That mm-hmm. there's people that you know consider this to be among their top podcasts that they enjoy. Yeah. So. Yeah, it showed awesome. like the minutes that we you know downloaded. Yes, yes, which was pretty. We're good at that because we, well, yeah, we got <laughs> a lot of minutes, and that was like, two, wow, like two preachers behind a microphone. This what is do you where expect? this is where all my all my evening time is going. Oh, yes, man. yes, yeah. You're getting behind on your video games, you know. <laughs> oh man, I haven't played a video game in like forever. Yeah, wow. uh, Mario Kart, I guess. That oh, it's a good one. Christmas. Yep. That's about all I've done. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll probably share those stats a couple more times with the next few episodes. Just yeah, I don't think a lot of people got to see it with the. There's like the weird, you know, you post something at the wrong time on Facebook and Instagram, and yeah, like nobody ever sees it. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, there's like a whole thing like of like, like, oh, this weird... is the time you're supposed to post it. But then right. what happens is everybody figures that out, and everybody posts at that time, and you get buried. And right. It's like, yeah. Then you switch to the new time, or I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, you just keep keep putting it out there, whatever right. yeah. you know. Sure, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, our our percentage numbers were huge because they compared our growth from last year. You know, as right. far as yeah. like, yeah. so it's like put up like three hundred and ninety three percent or something <laughs> like that. It was one of them. This is great. Look at us, we're blowing up the world. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. 
Well, thank you to all of you for supporting us through 50 episodes. If, we, you've, if you're listening to this now, you've, you've made it to, uh, to the second half of the first hundred. So yeah. that's pretty exciting. Thanks for being thanks for being with us for the journey. Uh, shoot us a note or something. Uh, put hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. We'll read your communications on the show. Whatever you send us, we always uh, always love that. So, and if they're ha- happening to listen right after episode fifty, they they see that or they hear that your voice is much better. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Oh, that's 50. right. Because last episode I was <clears throat> I was pretty raspy, and yeah. you had to kind of take the lead for us. So. Yeah. Now I'm back and better than ever. No, done with my fist bumping. Back to handshakes now. <laughs> I, I don't. What am I supposed to know what that means? So you don't like transmit what you have. You know, you just give the uh, fist bump or the you know. Oh, the knuckles or, don't yeah. carry any germs at all. I always. Well, yeah, no, I always cough on the inside of my hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it wrong all these yeah. years. <laughs> Stop coughing on your knuckles, then your fist bumps are dirty. <laughs> Sorry for everyone I've yeah. fist bumped in, yeah. in the past. That's the name of your doo-wop group, Jason and the Dirty Fist Bumps. <laughs> <laughs> and Dirty Fist Bumps, if I'm just like a you know, garage uh, metal band or something. Yeah, 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 yeah that's just, yeah, <laughs> that's just the name of the band. <laughs> um, okay, I guess it's time for us to have some beer, uh, oh. if you want to grab it. Uh, I don't think we've got anything else to touch base on in this first segment. No news or anything like that upcoming, I don't think. Um, we have been really kind of committing to making sure we get an episode every uh, every week out on the, um, get it put out there. Because, I mean, sometimes our schedules get busy and we get to the point where we can't get together in a week to do a show. But we felt like we can work our schedules around so that we can keep it coming so that we always have yeah. one every week. So we've been doing that. Um so we should be able to keep that rolling through the holiday season, we hope. Uh, with Christmas time coming up and New Year's. and um, Yeah, it's just Jason versus the beer packaging right now. He's, oh, he's oh, doing a, wow, look at this. He's doing a good job. <laughs> well, now the automatic dispenser is not going to work because you ripped the back of it out. <laughs> I really didn't make a dent in the back. It was like made of steel. <laughs> Yeah, so I was looking for our beer for this show, and um, you know we've we've had I think everything else that this brewery produces, and then this it looks like I don't know if it's something new or if it's just was kicking around at a beverage center that I didn't you know had it for a while or something, and um, so I thought we'd give it a try. It's from Genesee, uh, and it's from their Genesee Specialty series. Yeah, they had like uh, what are the other ones? The cranberry orange Kolsch, right? We had that one, yeah, uh, which is really There's nice. A- Ruby. And, oh, that's Ruby Red Kolsch. Uh, Ruby, Ruby Red Grapefruit Kolsch. Yeah, and then it's the, the they also did a, didn't they do cranberry orange something? I thought maybe. Yeah, cranberry orange. It was like a summer. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And they did a tropical flavored. Right. Something like a pineapple. Yeah. Mango. Yep. So it's got the, the happy yeah. little sailor looking dude on there and he's, he's right, pretty fun. Yeah. He kind of looks yeah. like he's like the runner of a circus. or Yeah. Like or he's at the fair, like trying to get you to spend your coins on, you know, shooting the water. Oh yeah, pistol yeah, yeah. like the, a carny. Yeah, he looks a, like a carny at the fair. Kinda, yeah. yeah, or or he sings in a barbershop quartet. Or yeah, <laughs> an old timey barbershop quartet. Yep. Hello, my honey. Hello, my you know baby. you could do that with. Oh, Hello, my ragtime. You could do that with your mustache. I could. I don't grow. I mean, that's the hard part for me. It's the mustache. Yeah, to get it long and well, no, mostly because I don't like it getting in my beer. 
you know <laughs> you get this thing too long and it starts catching foam well you, you gotta know? drink your beer with a straw <laughs> yes yes <laughs> <laughs> they make those little you could like it's like a little pocket protector only it's for straws yeah yeah that's a great idea <laughs> i'm walking around with eight straws in my pocket yeah <laughs> yeah uh, all right so this is straws this is uh citrus pills uh natural tangerine and lime flavor so it's like a tangerine lime pilsner from genesee <laughs> genesee special specialty series when uh when did this this come out like right I, now or? i just i haven't seen it this is the first time i saw it's it. like a weird time of year isn't it an to... odd time to release a citrusy pilsner yeah yeah did they mean to like send this to florida or something i don't got, know got stuck in a yeah. truck to new york it's like home alone yeah yeah i yes, yes. <laughs> it's just like that i meant to be on a flight to miami but here i am <laughs> in new york all right um well so yeah wow it's pretty pretty clear they obviously must filter it mm-hmm. uh, i just spilled beer on my, my i know that was a rookie there's something wrong with this can <laughs> yes <laughs> he hates these cans <laughs> it's the cans stay away from the cans <laughs> Uh, the jerk quotes. That's such a great scene. <laughs> Haven't we, um, uh, what is going on? There's I'm some sure it's come up before. I, I've got some, I've got some, div- something open on the computer that keeps like trying to take over as the, uh, oh. as the, um, audio right. interface while we're recording oh really yeah which if we do that it'll turn our microphones off right. i don't know what it is because i don't have anything running I mean, how many yeah how many audio interfaces can be connected to oh, a laptop at a be... time all right I got, you got be... your your uh, quick time on for... i had i had lila's band lesson schedule open on a microsoft excel spreadsheet and uh, i think it was kicking microsoft in. Trying yeah, to microsoft's trying to take over my computer world <laughs> But she didn't miss her band lesson last week, so you know, there you go. that's why I had it open. That for flute? Yeah, for flute. Ah, yeah. Nailed that. I was yeah. going to say violin first. Yeah. Well, she 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 used to do both, but oh. then they couldn't schedule both at the same time at school, so she had wanted to, to do orchestra, but they put her in band instead. And so, oh, one of those fancy schools with yeah two things. Yes, yes, with multiple offerings. <laughs> we had one and yeah. you get what you get all right well it's, it's very uh it's like i could have oh yeah i could have eggs with my morning orange juice yeah kind of. the aroma is like yeah flying right off it yep i wonder if there's any pulp in it doesn't look like it, it. looks pulp free looks pulp free. yes it says on the label pulp free That's like, yeah yeah it's in, uh, infused with vitamin d and <laughs> extra calcium Hmm. It is very. Those are just orange juice jokes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I've moved on. I was just going to drink oh, yeah, some beer. Yeah. Like he's talking about orange juice. I got to drink beer now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's exactly what they said. It's there's what not I, there's not a lot of pilsner character. No, it's just yellow beer. But that's kind of what I like about Genesee. Like all of these specialties is like. The flavors that they say are in the beer are like very present. So it's like, if yep. that if that sounds good to you when you buy it, like right. you're gonna be pleased. Yep, because it's right there. Yeah, if There's you're like, no. I want a, I want a Corona and lime, but I don't want to have to put the lime in it. 
doing right. these. Yeah. And it comes with tangerine too. <laughs> so, yeah. I'd be I'd be making a kind of feel like it's a health drink almost. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be peeling multiple fruits, uh, you know, to right. add You'd this spend to my a half can hour, of beer. You get, like carpal tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> And then you have to drink more because you're so tired, right. you know, like, oh, that was really wore me out. I need a beer. Then you yeah. can't hold your beer because you have like a claw hand chopping up all those, all those tangerines. Yeah, you can't undo your fingers. They get all gnarled up. Man. Yeah. It's that's hard. when you need a straw. Putting, man. putting fruit in a drink is d- difficult work. You, know? <laughs> you can't be bothered. Yeah. You yeah. Might as well. Yeah. Might as well just have it already pre-canned. Put it, yeah. Put it in there for me. Yeah. You know? What am I paying you for? Right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you want your brewers to do the legwork. Yeah. I can get beer wherever. I can't get fruit in beer wherever. Right. Yeah. I wonder what they use. It says natural flavors, you know. Is that a buzzword? Well, it's not, it's not necessarily a buzzword. It's just like it's it's a legal term, actually, as I'm as I'm aware of it like anyway. Certified organic. Yeah, so certified organic is obviously, you know, you have to go through the certification process, which which some people might argue if it's, you know, how rigorous it actually is. But but no, like natural flavors is just like, you know, to us as consumers, the word natural means like, you know, straight from nature into the, you know, but it's very loose in the food and beverage industry when you put natural flavors on there, what those flavors actually Mm. are, you know. I think it's like as long as they're loosely connected to like the tangerine has to you have to be able to trace back whatever chemical they're putting into it to a tangerine in some way. And then you can call it a natural flavor. Right. You know, but if it was just like completely synthesized in a lab, uh-huh. you know, then it's not a natural flavor. Then it's an artificial flavor. Um, but, you know, for the most part, all you gotta do is, you know. You got your big vat of chemicals and you squeeze one tangerine over it and be like, ah, oh, there's tangerine juice in there. <laughs> that's, you know, my thinking anyway. I don't know if that's actually true. Hmm. But, yeah. This will be the most listened to episode ever because it's going to be circulated against the artificial flavoring industry. And uh, where we go? Yeah. yeah. Pretty big deal. Yeah. We're going get, to uh, get popular for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be on a watch list. Yeah. <laughs> I was just watching a uh, Christmas movie that uh, one of the characters is like, uh, his job is to create online controversy. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, That's funny. You, just, do you think it would... <laughs> you think it would happen without anybody having to have it be their right, job? It does, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's kind of uh, yeah. a given. Yeah. yeah. As people, yeah, all you need is, you know, somebody to have three beers and pick up their phone. And yeah, you just need, uh, <laughs> you know, two faceless entities yes, with yes. thumbs. Yes. Can I say this and nobody really knows who I am? Nah, I'm going to say all the worst stuff I can think yep. of then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, so what do you think of the citrus pills I like from it. Genesee? Um, it's not like, uh, I like that it, that it is what it says it is. <laughs> they are who we thought they were. <laughs> and uh, and that's nice. I don't know. It's not like... I don't think I would choose it if I was in a beverage center and there are all those other options. But Right. Or this time of year. <laughs> it's kind of It's weird. an odd time of year. I'll have to check and see when they when they release it. Yeah. And what that's about. But in, you know, May or June... I was surprised I'm to see it. Itching for like a... You know, for it to really be summer, I would, yeah, I would get a 12 pack of this and yep. do all right for myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
He's going to do it right with the citrus pills from Genesee. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess that's all we got for this first segment. Um, we're going to drink some citrus pills and talk about the Shroud of Turin because that's, that's what we do here on the Music of the Spheres podcast. Cool. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be uh, right back with this evening's presentation. Thanks for listening to the Music of the Spheres. Welcome back to the Music of the Spheres podcast. Segment two is starting now on episode number 51. Actually started momentarily before I said it, but but as we will now. As we will find out, now is just a construct of the conscious mind. It's actually the only space that exists in time, I think. Something like that. Uh, but anyway, we're talking about the Shroud of Turin. I'm doing a uh, it, what's going to end up being a four-part series. We got one more, um, one more episode, which will follow uh, episode number fifty-three on this same topic. And uh, been using a resource from Dr. Andrew Silverman, which I'm, I've got to look up you know, some of the other stuff that he's done because it uh, it's pretty fascinating the way that he's he's bringing together like my favorite stuff, which is like you know, very cutting edge science, like right on the new, you know, edge of discovery with philosophy and mm-hmm. religion. And it's like, oh, this is really cool. You know, not, not really so much religion, but he's obviously talking about a religious artifact, but he's not talking about it in terms of like organized religion, but he's talking, he does talk about it in terms of, of, you know, faith, like a faith, mm-hmm. you know? So he, he finds this really cool line between, of faith and science and philosophy, which is kind of to me is the closer that you get in all of them, the closer you come to the same thing it feels like, um, in all of it. Um, but it's, uh, so it's, it's fascinating. So we've been using this book called a burst of conscious light. And, um, I've just been going through and reading the book and what, what you get on this podcast a lot of the time is just, <laughs> Uh, Jason and I engage with material and then we share with you that material processed through our own <laughs> psyches and minds and beings and experiences. Um, so it's not really a, a, you know, just, we're not just presenting the material we're sort of bringing it to you from our, from our experience mm-hmm. of it. <clears throat> um, which is, which is fun because it allows us to, it allows, I guess our listeners to, <laughs> to hear what it's like you know, to read this book as processed by me, not, you know, if they were just to read it on their own, which then validates them going and reading it on their own. I would recommend, you know, mm-hmm. all of our, all of our listeners go and get this book. Uh, there's a link to it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, go and, and, uh, order this, order this book and, and read it. Cause really even me trying to explain stuff on here, I can't get, you know, I can't capture it all. It's, you have to reread stuff a few times, you know, just to be like, wait, what did he just say there? Did he really say what I think he said? And you go back and you're like, yes, I get it now. That's 
cool <laughs> you know um it's it's neat stuff uh so today we're, we're going to look at a couple of things today we're going to actually get into uh some more specifics about the shroud itself uh and some of the you know some of the scientific understanding of the image on the shroud uh and what it implies about how it was formed but first we have to take a little dive into uh he's going to further his argument on uh consciousness being from outside of time and space that our okay. consciousness exists outside of outside of time and space essentially what a lot of people would call non-local consciousness you know that the argument that consciousness doesn't originate in the gray matter of the brain but it is instead uh received by the brain like a radio antenna we've talked about that before he's, he's kind of making that argument because it's important for him uh to connect all this stuff in that way so um he starts off with um he reminds us once again of this fact uh that he believes that space time and matter are simply the products of separation occurring at the big bang now i think we talked about that in our most recent episode on this subject episode number 49 that his idea is that at the big bang is when the separation of all stuff occurred remember we talked about mm-hmm. you know matter is really like frozen light that um that quote from uh the scientist david bohm right and and he talked about you know f- that what matter really is if you look at it like the stuff that it's made out of electrons and you know atoms and the way that you know they all work together and the stuff that makes up those smallest particles they're really like light that's been sort of trapped into being in a certain space but really it's like light wants to just freely flow everywhere but it's like trapped down into a you know like taking water that's flowing and then turning it into an ice cube now you can you know it's got a shape you know whereas before water didn't have a shape right you know water just flows and it takes the shape of whatever it's in but once you freeze it, now you can freeze it into any shape you want. And then you can sculpt it like ice sculptures, you know, and it becomes a, a workable substance, whereas before it was fluid. So it's a, akin to that. Like if light was fluid and then turning it into a solid, that's what matter is, essentially. So that's, that's what he's saying, that the Big Bang was, you know, this, this point at which separation began. The separation of, of uh, energy into matter essentially mm-hmm. um all right so then he asks this question um he also refers well before he gets to the question um he thinks that the instigator of this separation was uh the choice of sentient beings to experience separation that there are all these you know sentient beings you could say he doesn't comment on where they came from you know but maybe they're creations of god if you think if you think about it in those terms mm-hmm. they choose instead of just existing in this beautiful you know pool of oneness that they want to experience you know separation and what that might be like uh and so that's what creates time space matter and the big bang essentially that that was where it came from so that's his big postulation at this point in the book um but he says here's a question that he's going to attempt to answer how could you have made a choice to be you if before the choice was made there was no you as an independent separate entity right so if you're not already a separate individual, how can you choose that you want to be a separate individual, right? Right. Um, so, 
what's what he's saying is that this paradox actually is meaningless because we get stuck in temporality right we always think about things in time what he's mm-hmm. saying is you're right that couldn't happen i couldn't choose to be me before i'm me because there's no me to say i want to be me mm-hmm. right unless unless that me that is my consciousness doesn't exist in time and space like you know my physical body does in this in mm-hmm. this place right if it exists outside of that then it takes the paradoxical nature out of that argument so um all right so then he's looking at uh what we what we find in this is that there's a there's a suggestion of an underlying connection between all all life that there's this underlying essential connection he calls it you know your consciousness or your awareness right one might call it your soul you know or your eternal being or you know people have different reference points for Mm -hmm. it right but that's kind of what he's saying is that there's a connectedness between this and he thinks he finds evidence to this connectedness in something that we refer to and you know this subject well uh empathy he says the existence of empathy perhaps is a clue to the root map for undoing this separation between subject and object um so there is um you know, subject and object is, you know, whatever is being observed mm-hmm. is the object. Wh- whoever is doing the observing is the subject, right? And you have this subjective observation of the thing that you're looking at, right? Um, so he says this, um, people experience their interactions with others from the other person's perspective. Um, oh, he's talking about this in uh, as, as a reference to what happens in a an NDE life review, which we've already talked about in previous episodes. So you can go back to our episode on NDEs and, and listen about that if you want, or just look up, you know, the life review in NDEs, just Google it anywhere and you'll find it. But, um, the life review happens and you sort of get to experience your whole life, but not just from your own perspective. He says this people experience their, uh, interactions with others from the other person's perspective. So, to f- so that if they were kind to someone, they feel as though the kindness was done to themselves. Or if they harm someone, they experience this as the harm being done to themselves. Seen in this way, a lot of the teachings of people like Buddha and Jesus don't need to have connotations of institutional religions, but seem instead to be simply rational expressions of good sense. <laughs> um, you know, again, he's like saying... You don't have to have a whole religion built up around the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of Buddha. Because what they're really teaching is, yeah, don't harm people because you're really just harming yourself. Um, you know, we say that like in figurative language now a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, when you hurt other people, you're really just hurting yourself. But when you look at the, you know, near, near-death near experiences and the life review that happens where people actually experience, you know, both the good and bad things they've done to others as though they're on the other side of those experiences what he's saying is like it's just common sense <laughs> if you believe you know if you take that in and you believe it then it's just common sense to do only good to those around you because you're really just doing it to yourself um all right so uh he then gets to talking about um this state of being that happened or that exists outside of time and space. This, um, you know, a lot of people call it different things, right? So some people would call it the, you know, the eternal 
the eternal realm or eternity or heaven or mm-hmm. um you know you pick the religion whatever they call their version of heaven right that's kind of what they all call it um he calls it um that uh so he says we can re- we can trace our origins from the ultimate state of union. He calls it the ultimate state of union, which he refers to with this term, no thingness, re- really like nothingness. But mm-hmm. he doesn't mean nothingness as the existence of uh, that it's empty. Right. Nothingness, he says. I use the term nothing, no thingness, to express the notion that you are someone rather than something. Although your mind may perceive things, the center of your awareness, your mind's eye, if you like, is itself invisible, intangible, and not material. So it's not a thing. You are someone, not something mm-hmm. in this place. Oh, just like when, you know, us pastor types say uh, remembering or... Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah, you just take the word and you break it out. And common just, like, union. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, common <laughs> union instead of communion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No thingness. But it's, no it's a cool, you know, it's, it's a cool, like... You know, it's not that it's it's not the the absence of of all you know it's stuff. It's just the absence of of matter as we understand it, which he's going to get into is actually the suggestion is it's actually more freeing, um, right? You know this this space. All right, so, um, all right, so now he's going to talk about um, quantum mechanics again. All right, so. Um, Oftentimes, there's this notion that we just kind of get shoved here from wherever we were, you know, (laughs) and it's like Mm -hmm. you go from one temporality just to a different timeline and that's the timeline of this universe or whatever, right? You Mm -hmm. just kind of just get shoved here and that's your existence and you got to live it and then go on to some other place or whatever. Right, right. Uh, But he says this, rather than being propelled into this universe, we have actually chosen to exist in separation and in so doing have created a created and continue to reify or make real the arena in which we exist. Uh, now, uh, Eugene Winger was a quantum physicist, or maybe is, I, he doesn't say if he's past or not. Uh, he said this, that consciousness is necessary for quantum mechanics. So consciousness is ne- necessary for quantum mechanical processes to exist, and quantum mechanics is necessary for the physical universe to exist. Um, and then here's a here's a quote from um, Dr. Silverman himself. Is it then so unreasonable to postulate that consciousness was instrumental in causing the Big Bang? Hmm. Right. So he says, I don't know if you follow that argument, but what he was saying was uh, consciousness is necessary for quantum mechanics to work. Okay. Because the the thing that makes quantum mechanics happen is a conscious observer. They've just kind of discovered that when they observe things at the quantum level it's the observation of of a consciousness that brings it into being but those mechanics are the basis for all the things that we know as far as the matter and the physical universe around us right so without consciousness you wouldn't have quantum mechanics thus without quantum mechanics you wouldn't have a physical universe so he says he just skips the middleman there and says consciousness is responsible for the physical universe, <laughs> which that's really mm. cool. Yeah, see, I can see you chewing on that. Like it's a orange juice with pulp in it. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, so 
getting the idea here. He's saying like our our consciousness is the prime the prime director in this mm-hmm. in this realm that we exist in now. Our consciousness is the power of powers, essentially, is what he's saying. That okay. It's 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 the root cause. That it's not some, you know, other thing that has happened. And he's saying that's because he believes this. The cause of the Big Bang, if if the cause of the Big Bang was choice, then it was the choice for separation. Choosing to be separate uh, from, you know, from this place of no-thingness. Right. Um, all right. Uh, so then he goes into this. Um, and we get a quote from Max Planck, um, who also, uh, in a in a British newspaper in 1931, uh, Max Planck, who was the one that founded quantum theory, said this in, in this, uh, the, the newspaper was called The Observer. I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything that we talk about, everything that we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. So this is where like the worlds of science and, and philosophy and psychology and everything like just totally overlap. Right. And they like collide into one another. It's like all the same thing because you start studying, you know, physics down to the most minute levels, you get to quantum mechanics. But quantum mechanics relies on consciousness to function. Mm-hmm. And that's the most fundamental thing that they can find. But the thing that makes it what it is is consciousness, and so Max Planck says you can't get behind that. That's the that's the place that you can't get behind mm-hmm. to observe, because that's the observing itself, right? right? So he's like, that's the fundamental element. This is kind of what he's getting at, which is why this is so cool. So, um, so he says uh, that you know, sort of leading up to this or leading. This leads us into this idea that there are two aspects of of mind. Um, the more familiar aspect of mind is the one in which mind takes the form of separate individuals. There is within this state of uh, individuality an inherent implication that our separation one from the other is contingent on the initial separation that we call the Big Bang. Um, right? So I'm my own mind and you're a different mind jason as we sit here you know and the people that are listening they're different you know and we're all individual people we kind of you know have that sense even when you're not in an individualist you know society like we live in now right you still that idea of you know there's a me and there's a you and there's you know um but he says this uh, there's another aspect of mind that is perhaps beyond space uh, and time and matter in which there is no separation and we are all one. Um, so this second aspect of mind is what he's making the case for in, in these arguments so far. Uh, trying to get to this, you know, this idea that... Um, um, th- this idea that consciousness exists outside of this, this reality. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Um, so he says, you know, here's a, here's a good quote. The problem is that we tend to identify ourselves by what divides us and makes us distinct. This tends to make us lose sight of the fact that although the contents of our awareness may differ, the fundamental ground of that awareness is one and the same in all of us. When you forget yourself 
in your unconditional love for others, you are not extinguishing your existence. You are realizing your existence. So what he's saying there is, again, this idea of empathy and unconditional love towards other people is actually a fuller expression of self because it roots into that second aspect of mind, which is the, the oneness aspect. Uh, and, you know, it ties into that idea of the, if I do something to hurt somebody else, I'm really just hurting myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, isn't there? I mean, it's like uh, to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's almost. <coughs> I don't know. If, is that like a proverb or something? Yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you do, or I mean, it's the, the the notion that is thrown around in our tradition all the time of dying to oneself. You know. Right. And and typically, I think people look at that as like you know self-sacrifice to the point of you know diminishing right. their own self right you're living right? like john the baptist and trees <laughs> yeah yeah eating Eat, locusts eating just locusts <laughs> and stuff yeah you know, people but people tend to i mean and that borders on abusing oneself you know if spreading spreading yourself right. too thin or giving mm-hmm. up too much and not doing any self-care or taking care of yourself or right any, i would not that. suggest that you would not care no as, <laughs> you wouldn't as, as somebody, live in a tree who's yeah yeah <laughs> As somebody who's into the mental health of, of the world, you know, you mm. would say you got to take care of yourself, you know, and you have to love yourself before you can be any good to anybody else. You know, if you can't even get into that space with your own self, how are you going to be of service to anybody else? Right. So, um, so that's kind of the idea, right? That we tend to identify ourselves by what divides us and makes us distinct. Right? Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we have competition over that. Right. Um, all right. Um, Yeah, uh, I'm going to read another quote here uh, that um, this is kind of where he's summing up his argument that the consciousness that we experience does not originate in our brains. He says this, my contention is that if people like Planck, Schrodinger, Eddington, and others were right, that matter is a property of mind rather than mind being a derivative of matter, then it would seem to follow that what we call you or me cannot be simply an emergent property of the arrangement of atoms or cells in our brains. So, because if matter is reliant upon consciousness, as not only uh, philosophers but also scientists claim mm-hmm. to be true, that if that's the case, then our brains can't produce our consciousness because it's the consciousness that produces the matter. <laughs> Right. So that's the that's kind of the idea. Um, all right. So now he's going to get in a little bit more into um, NDEs, uh, where he's talking about the difference between information and knowledge. Right? Like information, computers do really well processing information, but do computers actually have knowledge? Right? Some people mm-hmm. would argue, you know, if you can process information, then you can have knowledge. Uh, but he's actually arguing that that knowledge. Um, doesn't come through information alone, but it requires uh, awareness. You have to have an awareness, which then leads to the idea of consciousness again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so through, uh, through NDEs, um, let's see. Yeah, there's, um, there's a definite, we kind of covered it quite a bit in our NDE episode, actually. The idea that in NDEs is this, um, there's always, not always, but in many cases, 
actually recorded cases of near-death experiences, you find reports of brain death where the brain has been shown to not be functioning. Mm -hmm. They'll have, you know, a person in a particular state is connected to actual monitoring devices that measure brain activity, and it's shown to be vacant of activity. And yet a person in that same frame of time where the recorded uh, documentation says that there's no brain activity, they have memories from that time, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what he's what he's talking about, um, and he sort of uses that to solidify his case. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's the other aspect of near death experiences where um, people feel coming back from NDEs, they always talk about death not being the end. Right, the death mm-hmm. is a transition of some sort that it's not. Um, and so he says this: uh, people come back with an inner certainty that death is a transition rather than an end, and also find that their value systems are overhauled as they become deeply convinced of the value of all humanity to the extent that, in many instances, they devote their lives to the service of others. Um, and then he says this because he brings in re- reincarnation. He says, if reincarnation is true, see pages 56, 57. That's where he proves reincarnation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps most or all of us have had near-death experiences, right? I mean, or death experiences before. Like if, if we've all lived before and we've all had a death experience, maybe it's not near because we don't go back, right? But we've all had that experience of transitioning. Um, so uh, the other thing that happens in the near-death experience is um, people encounter the light, right? Um, in talking about light, uh, light perhaps reaches its fullest, most complete expression with the light that people experience in near-death experiences and the light that formed the image on the shroud. But nevertheless, it is the same light that is present within each of us to varying degrees according to how we live and the choices that we make. Uh, so light, uh, he says, uh, so what, if any, is the relationship between this light that is perceived in near-death experiences and the light that would seem to have been responsible for the image on the shroud? What if they are one and the same? So he's, um, he's suggesting that perhaps the same light that he's sort of going along with what other scientists have said about the light on the shroud was actually just a really intense burst of radiation. Uh, we're going to find out what wavelength he thinks it is in a minute. <laughs> um, okay. But, but that we, that it's, a, it's actually light being cast onto this is the best, um, the best way to explain it because the material of the shroud has been influenced the same way as if you leave a linen out in sunlight mm-hmm. you know, for a period of time. Right. Uh, but it happened quickly. Uh, because I didn't burn it up or anything. So, um, hmm. so he says like this, this experience that people have of the light in NDEs might have a, be a similar thing to the light that was, uh, projected onto the shroud to create this image. He's just postulating. What if they were one and the same? Right. So that was pretty cool. Um, And then he just kind of finishes, um, he gets into the AI thing again. Remember that he's, one of the things he's trying to do with this book is to, to talk about how um, AI can't, can't really ever fully exist as a life form. Um, 
because it's something that's that's connected back uh yeah something that's connected back to the original um no thingness right that that's where our life and our being and our consciousness comes from is from that space so something that you create here out of matter that just processes information can't ever be an actual life form right you can take on a lot of things that make it look like it's processing information and making decisions and all of that but it's just still not aware right or conscious Mm -hmm. so um and so he gets into this uh talk about ai um and and mathematics um so i'm not going to really get into that but uh he does make this really interesting um i guess it's like a little uh philosophical order of um the way that one thing proceeds from the other i don't know what you call that (laughs) um but he talks about how mathematics uh is like the perfect thing to describe the physical universe that it mathematics works to describe the universe which is why people study it and use it and it works like math makes everything work that people are engaged in you know from technology Mm -hmm. to other scientific endeavors to understanding the way that the motion of the cosmos works it all can be described mathematically um but he says this mathematics is a product of reason Meaning that ma- what mathematicians do is they observe the patterns that are described in mathematics and they actually make up, they reason them. You know, they find a pattern and they make connections that has a meaning. It's not just numbers, right? So mathematics is mm-hmm. a product of reason. Reason is a product of simplicity and symmetry. Uh, these are both products of order. Order is also a property of no thingness because if you trace back to the big bang, you know, that was the most ordered state and it's been moving towards chaos since then. Right. Mm-hmm. So the no thingness is order where it's orders comes from. Right. Um, and then, uh, the no thingness is a product of peace, which we're going to, um, talk about in the next chapter about a, a different definition of the word peace, which I think is really cool. Also, given that we're recording this, in the season of Advent mm-hmm. on the Sunday that is of set peace. aside for peace. <laughs> um, peace is a product of unity and unity is the property of that in which all absolutes are contained or that, that space of oneness. So he says unity leads to peace. Peace leads to the no thingness. No thingness leads to the order. Order leads to reason and reason leads to math. <laughs> and therefore you have a mathematically described universe. <laughs> So that was his first chapter, right? He was really he's 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 really trying to push against you know. And you can kind of see this as an undertone, which is not really the focus of what I'm interested in in this material, because um, I'm not. I don't. You know, I'm sure someday if things get bad, I'll be concerned about AI. But right now, I'm not. <laughs> right now, I'm concerned with the Shroud of Turn because it's freaking cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm interested in his book for that reason. But you can see, yeah. like, he's really trying to make this case for consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, it being that which creates the material world, which is going to tie into the next chapter. We're about to jump into it because he starts looking at like what actually happened on the cloth. Um, and, and if you remember what he's and I'm going to reference this a couple times, but what he what he's saying throughout this book from a scientific perspective or scientist. Uh, yeah. Uh, scientific. Scientific. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I like scientific. It's a scientific, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's acting a lot like a scientist. Yeah. I do everything like yeah, scientific. Not scientific. I'm scientistical. <laughs> scientistical. <laughs> oh. Uh, yes, we're just inventing words here. Um, we're just adding podcast. endings <laughs> to words. Yes, uh, this episode is called Suffixes by Jordan. <laughs> Uh, or is it suffices? That's a rabbit hole. I'd... Seize and desist. That's what I should do. Yeah. <laughs> suffices and desist, please. Other words, shut up, Jordan. <laughs> um, but what, you, what you're going to see is that from that scientisticality perspective that he has is that uh, what really is, um, what he's really saying is you can't, just look at something like the shroud and be like, all right, well, it's just it's impossible that that is anything but a hoax, you know, mm-hmm. or a fabrication. Uh, and just throw it out because you say, well, it doesn't fit with, you know, what we know to be normal science. Right. Um, and he also said, well, you don't, you can't just take it and be like, yeah, no, it's just, I just believe it on faith completely. And, you know, he's saying that there's a middle space where you can actually, if you, uh, if you understand the way that, that science and physics work, you can see something like that not as just totally random, but actually just extremely rare, like an extremely rare event, but still existing within the way that the physics of the world that we understand to be would work. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not that it's it's not that it's outside of the bounds of possibility. Right. It's just rare enough that we don't see it all the time, uh, which. Really, I mean, that kind of goes with a lot of the material that we talk about, mm-hmm. you know, or anything in that paranormal. Pl- it's, it's like people people see those kinds of things and you know say, well, it's just not. This doesn't happen. It's not real. It can't be. And but really, it's just well, maybe it's just more rare, you know, that you experience that people would experience things like I don't know, seeing a ghost or you know having a premonition about something or whatever. Right? It's not, they're just not as rare or discussed. Or not as as common or discussed. Um, so he's going to jump in. We're going to transition now into actually looking at the the uh, image on the shroud itself and how some of this stuff ties in. Because that's why he spent so much time kind of laying this groundwork of consciousness being this bigger thing. Because what he's going to say here is as we look at what happened on the shroud, that maybe what we're seeing is an example of how essentially really advanced physics taking place mm-hmm. you know in a in a particular time and space that we then have an artifact that we can review from that event um but he's essentially saying it's not impossible which is why i was asking lila about you know what's a miracle and what you know what right. unites us and what do we share in common and is a miracle something that is possible or or can it happen or could you even do it right as he's saying like there's actually pathways in our understanding to how this could happen. All right, so here we go. The second half of this uh, presentation <laughs> begins now. Uh, Dr. Gilbert Lavoie. Whenever now is. Whenever now is, which is great about podcasting because now is this now is totally different for everybody. That's, or is now even, is it a thing or it's no to- thing? It's totally different for everybody, but it is exactly right now, which is, which is really cool. So there's something that we share in common. We're all experiencing this in the now. All right, Dr. Gilbert Lavoie um, has pres- uh, presented evidence that the blood stains occurred when the shroud 
um, wrapped a recumbent corpse. But what is often not discussed is that he also demonstrated that the body image on the shroud is more consistent with that of an upright man. So upright, upright, right? So think about it, right? You've been since we've been talking about this, you've been imagining, you know, a body laying down, like, being wrapped, uh, right? Yeah. But Dr. Gilbert Lavoie, who's who's studied uh, this, has demonstrated that the body image on the shroud is more consistent with that of an upright man. Um, so if you believe the man in the shroud to be Jesus, we're about to talk about Jesus's butt. <laughs> The, the lack of flattening on the calves and buttocks on the dorsal image oh. supports the postulation that the man of the shroud was vertical when the image formed. Sure, yeah, because the... <laughs> your butt's flat when you're laying down. The posterior does yeah. not get smushed if you're standing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's not a flat butt. It's, it's round. Well, we've got a nice title for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> the butt was not flat, but was round. The butt. Uh. Uh, at calves too, the calves. Right? Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm assuming Jesus's calves were all that hiking. Yes, he probably had some big calves. Oh yeah, so yeah. they would have been be a, smushed if he, he was laying down. <laughs> he would have been a heck of a cyclist. <laughs> he would have <laughs> all that, all those pomegranates. Yeah, and he doesn't have to watch out for water like normal bikers do. You know, you just right across right that across stuff. It. Oh man. <laughs> uh, also, but it's not just the butt and the calves. Uh, the hair. Appears to be hanging down on the shoulders rather than spread out behind the head and neck. Right. right. It would kind of be. Yeah. Yeah. Be all over like the right. sides and stuff if it was. Yeah. And once again, I mean, th- there's the image. Like, you can look at it and anybody can look this up. You know, mm-hmm. what images of the shroud? Like, the hair is clearly hanging down. It, it was no way that it could look like that. Right. Right. If the. If Unless he's like an elf in Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah. Their hair. Yeah. <laughs> like their hair doesn't move. That is true. That is true. Or uh, Jimmy Johnson, the uh, <laughs> former coach, coach of the yeah. Dallas Cowboys. His hair never moved either. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the position of the feet with the toes of the right f- foot pointing downward and the left knee appearing to be slightly more flexed suggests that the body was not in a standing position either. Right. So the way the feet are in the image right, shows that... It, there's very highly unlikely that the person was standing because the feet weren't in a way that it could support weight. Uh, so levitating. So that what you mean? See, so here's a here's like a, a oh, composite okay. image, right? Of of what the shroud looks like. So sure. this is um, the toes dug in. I can okay. Yeah, this is because the, the feet are like you know it would be a really good ballerina you know to because sure. the toes are pointed essentially right right. Um, but again, you know, it's not that evidence that they would be flat on one bit, like they're standing on a slab of some sort or something like that, right? Right. So yeah, you got it, Jason. Um, it appears that the body was suspended above the ground. <laughs> so, so the body was upright, uh, head away from the center of gravity of the earth, uh-huh. right? Feet pointing down towards that, but not not on the ground, <laughs> according to the image on the shroud. Um, one possible explanation for this and I don't know how you didn't think of this, Jason, would be if the mass of the body had somehow become less. If this were the case, huh. then how could that possibly be, though? Right? How would the how would that... Right, like he was on the moon or something. <laughs> yes. First, he flew into space. Took a rocket ship. 
and then shot himself uh, as an image onto a shroud and then the shroud went back and miraculously didn't burn up in the atmosphere on on re-entry <laughs> jesus was actually neil armstrong <laughs> That's what this book is about? Yes, yes. Right. One giant leap for mankind. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. So um, he says that this, uh, your first thought, right, is like, okay, well, this is a pile of hooey. Right. That, <laughs> that you know, this levitation, right? Mm-hmm. I've never seen anybody levitate. I don't, you probably haven't, right, Jason? Only uh, in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so you quote a great Weezer song there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but he's saying, like, if we start to understand consciousness as the the thing that instigates our physical reality, our matter that is around us, if we start to understand consciousness as the driver of that, then matter doing weird things isn't actually all that weird. Right? Because matter just responds to consciousness. And so if the consciousness is able to manipulate things in a different way, Mm -hmm. then it's not really quite so preposterous to make these kinds of claims. And he says that there's actually some ideas about how that could be, that the the mass of the body was actually less. So uh, as living, conscious, sentient beings, we are the mind-matter continuum. That which looks out at the world from behind our, our eyes is the power of all power. So that's kind of what I had mentioned before, right? This idea of the consciousness is the, mm-hmm. is the driver. We're a mind-matter continuum. It's not, a, it's not a one thing and the other, right? In this existence, in this time and space, you know, reality that we exist in, it's more of a continuum that consciousness is influencing it. There's not like a line, right? Mm-hmm. Like computer and operator, there's a pretty clear interface. I sit down, you know, I got yeah. a screen to look at. That's what it's saying back to me. And I got a, I got a, you know, a, a keyboard and a mouse pad to input into the computer, right? Or I might have other interfaces, but the interface is pretty clear. He's saying it's not like that with the mind matter continuum. It's, it is actually a continuum. It's, um, all right. So this is where he gets into this really neat idea where we're going to talk about peace, um, so he he implies through his uh, you know research and what he's laid out in the book, which I again I recommend I can't recommend it enough for people to get it. That matter is simply a localization of force. Now remember, the universe as he already described when I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago has the four basic forces of nature. Do you remember him, Jason? Gravity. Yeah, that's one. And then, uh, you know, think about like magnetic poles, like oh, right, electromagnetic, yep. Electromag- right? Yep. And then there's the force that, that those, those two things essentially. And then the two different forces that act inside an atom, which is the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force. But there, there's four forces mm-hmm. and a force is obviously we, we understand force all the time. Like gravity is pretty easy to understand. We experience yeah. it very, in a very real way every single day. Um, but it's a force. Right, and so he says, matter is simply a localization of force, and he says that because because what's happening is if matter is frozen light, right, then something has to act on it to freeze it into that state, and so that's what the forces of nature do. Without the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force, nothing would exist because it would all just fly off and just be, you know, particles all spread out as an amalgam around, 
right? But it's because of gravity, electromagnetism, and those two nuclear forces that everything draws together and becomes separate into these bits and pieces that it is now. And he says it's our consciousness that does that because consciousness is what uh, causes those things to have quantum mechanics, which they all respond to quantum mechanics, right? They all are reliant upon quantum mechanics, but quantum mechanics is reliant upon consciousness. So therefore, matter, everything that around that is around and, and exists mm-hmm. is responsible for force, or is, is not responsible for force. It is in existence because a force is acting on it. Whether it's, you know, one or two or three or four of those four, or a combination of them, that's what makes the things what they are and where they are. So, <laughs> this is interesting. Let me see if I can make this argument as well as he does. I'm just trying to communicate it to you and our listeners. Uh, an influence of force is itself the result of defined causes and conditions. I have argued that it is our limitations or restrictions of mind that differentiate us from each other and from the original unity of awareness from which we emerged. All right. So... Um, so forces are acting on all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what makes us all individual and separate in what we are because of the forces. And he's su- suggesting this, the reduction in power of the unenforcedness or, he says, peace, right? If we can somehow reduce the power of those forces in our own being, he says that's peace, uh, if we do that, that's responsible. Um, if we can reduce the power of the unenforcedness within us that is responsible for our existence within physicality and ultimately for the physical universe itself. Um, if this is so, then it would make sense that if someone lives a life that consistently unites with others through compassion and recognition of the fundamental union of all sentient beings, then force could be reduced in the location in which that person's will predominates, or in other words, their physical body. So he's suggesting that peace is actually when you can slow these forces down to the point where you come to this place of being more in union with Mm -hmm. your full self, right? The full self of both minds, both aspects of minds. Yes, I'm individual, but I'm also connected to all things. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and if you do that, you actually can reduce the power of these forces, these physical forces, because they all are dependent upon your consciousness anyway. So if you come at it from that space of being more engaged in the, um, the eternal aspect of your mind, then you actually might be able to influence physical reality in some amazing ways. Um, so uh, Einstein's equations show that mass is responsible for the curvature of space and time. Mass, in turn, is seen as the condensation of energy. This describes a latent enforcement within matter. Um, and so... Uh, He is suggesting that the potential levitation comes from a <laughs> the actual overwhelming peace creating this unenforcedness, right? So that the forces don't act on the matter as much. They become less like matter. Therefore, 
having less mass and becoming more like energy, right? So he says this, the implications of this hypothesis would be that if the mass of his body had reduced the extent that it had around the same density as the air around it, then this might have been what caused it to be suspended above the ground. So peace can raise you up <laughs> almost literally according yeah. to his theory. Right. But it all is based on that idea of, of consciousness, you know, coming before right. matter. Right. And that if, if your consciousness is so connected to the original source of your consciousness mm -hmm. that you can have more influence over the matter of your physical body, thusly reducing the forces of nature on it and producing a more energetic version of yourself that has less mass and thus you float that's hmm. so he's saying yes is wild and it's crazy and it's a weird hypothesis but uh at the same time it could be understood based on what we know about physics right yeah. now you know which hmm. that's really cool to me um <clears throat> all right so then um yeah, he's talking about this idea of um, the subtitle of the book, which you actually talked about last episode that we were doing this because you kept looking at it as I was reading the book, Limitless Potential of Humanity, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, he says this, if the man on the shroud was Jesus of Nazareth, then it is interesting that he seems frequently to have referred to the limitless potentiality latent within all human beings. For example, he is reported to have said, and this is, of course, in the Bible, nothing will be impossible unto you. Uh, and that those who he referred to as peacemakers would be called children of God. Um, and uh, Jesus is often referenced in the Bible. He has a reference here to uh, Isaiah 9-6, which is um, quite popular this time of year as it's a lyric in Handel's Messiah, mm. right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? So what if, you know, you call, you, you have a prophet that says a guy is a Prince of Peace, and then this person does something that could be described as the ultimate expression of peace. You know, we often think of peace as the, the absence of, you know, enmity, right? Mm -hmm. Or the absence of war or violence or whatever. We talk about peace in those terms. Yeah. But when we talk about an inner peace, right? Mm -hmm. He's talking about like, these forces like slowing the forces down is actually more peaceful because we're just a we are a massive expression of force all the time mm -hmm. they're constantly those four forces are interacting with our body all the time making it do what it does and you can relax those forces then you come into the state of peace yeah. <laughs> more things become possible to you <laughs> again that's wicked cool i want to try to do that um all right, uh, so that was that's the discussion on force um, and uh, limitless potential. Oh, and this is where he talks about miracles for a second. Um, he says, like, there are reports, for example, of Jesus walking on water and of certain individuals in history, such as uh, Siddhartha Gautama, which is the Buddha, uh, rising above the ground, right? So there are reports of people doing things that would require them to have less mass, how did Jesus walk on water? Did, did he make the water hard or did he just have less mass so he could get across there? Um, and the Buddha was, was, you know, said to have levitated above the air. What he says in my thesis, 
This is all consistent with physics. Once the relationship between mind and matter that have I, that I have referred to as the mind matter continuum is understood. So it's not outside of the realm of physical possibility. Once you understand our existence as the mind matter continuum. Uh, all right. So then he gets into this idea, which I kind of hinted at before, um, that, uh, we <laughs> didn't ever begin you and I have no beginning or no end. Right. The idea of if your if your consciousness comes from this uh, no thingness, mm -hmm. right, and that this is just this time and space reality that we exist in was a conscious decision to create limitation that we then live inside of limitation. Which, how true is that? Right? <laughs> we, yeah. Don't we feel limited all the time? Like, you know, I I want to float too. You know, come on, like, <laughs> make it so much easier to get down from the second floor. <laughs> you know, like. Just go right out the window, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, like, we feel so limited. And I remember as a kid, like, wondering, like, why, why, we, why, can't we, why can't we just have limitlessness? Why would we have be, you know, confined by all these different things, right? What he's saying is that uh, the universe that, that we know is really what started, that we didn't start. What started was our choosing to be limited. So our limitations have a beginning and an end. Mm-hmm you know, which is, you know, life. But the, he said that that's actually all connected to the Big Bang. And so this is his big argument for why you can't have synthetic life, why you can't have AI, because <laughs> AI is something that's just made out of matter. And you can't have something that's from the nothingness if it's just made out of matter and stuff. Um, well, anyway, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. Um but I do have a, a quote that I wanted to read. Um, yeah. So it's, it's said to be that uh, Jesus's body, if, if we believe that the shroud image is Jesus of Naz Nazareth, as he says, um, that he was crucified and he died. Uh, and they know that the shroud had blood on it that was um, below the image. The image formed after the blood had already been on it and dried. Um, so uh, he's suggesting that there's a possibility that this person could have brought the body of his, you know, his own body back to life. Um, the man whose image we see on the shroud came close enough to the primal state of union that I have referred to from which all potentiality springs that he was able to bring life to inanimate matter. Um, and so, yeah, he really, uh, he gets into that uh, a little bit more, but I just thought that was a good quote. I liked that. Um, and then he gets into Einstein's, uh, equation e equals mc squared <laughs> to mm -hmm. kind of talk about like energy and matter are kind of interchangeable right like uh that's what e equals mc squared talks about that there's a there is a direct relationship between energy and matter mm -hmm. you know it's the whole like um the uh principle of conservation of energy right that it's it's either form of matter or energy right so it can go both ways right matter can become energy energy can become matter um so the mass of the body, if it becomes more energetic, it has less mass. There's less matter, right? So he mm -hmm. says that that 
Einstein says it still works with Einstein is what he said. <laughs> that's okay. really what he's coming down to there. I just paraphrasing for him, but that's kind of <laughs> what he said. Like, hey, okay, believe in Einstein, it still works. All right. So my last thing um, that he finds on the shroud uh, that we're going to talk about today is the uh, directionality of the image. So the image clearly um, had a directional uh, state to it. Okay. Because we can see it, right? Now, if it were just radiation that came off the body, you know, just intense radiation, I think about like, you know, radiation from, a, if you had a rod of uranium, it's just radiation is going to go everywhere, right? Yeah. So it would have, not be good it's for kind you. Kind of a me. jerk move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Just, man, can you like put that away? <laughs> put away the uranium. Like there's kids around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if, if it were radiation like that, it would be mm-hmm. all over um the shroud right so he's essentially saying um that in order to have uh directional radiation that you have to um that you have to uh have it in a small amount uh it has to be in a small enough amount that it only travels so far right Mm Because if it, if it only travels so far, um, then it's only going to hit the things that are closest to it. And this is one of the things that they discovered with the shroud itself, that it has what they call uh, distance coating. Um, that distance coating is um, what, what shows you how far away something was from the source of radiation. Because you can see that it was, you know, it was a little bit more here, a little C-O-A-T-I-N-G. bit less C-O-A-T-I-N-G. No, no, no. C O D I N G. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like color by number, right? If this is darker, it's hit more, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, let's see here. All right. So uh, they're saying then that they've they found how a particular wavelength would account for this happening Mm -hmm. is if you have a wavelength that is too strong, um, then it won't create distance coding. It'll just, it won't stop at all, right? It'll just keep going. And therefore the strong wavelength will look like a, you know, it'll look like a, it's been everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. It'll just keep going. If it's too weak, then it actually can get absorbed by the air. Um, because it's just not strong enough to make it through the air. The air absorbs it. So there's mm-hmm. a particular wavelength that they believe is um, the exact wavelength that would fit in a particular range where this would be possible for it both to have distance coding that can be measured, but not to wash out the whole image, right? So right. okay, do you get what I'm saying, right? Like if it's too, if it's too weak, it yeah. doesn't get to the shroud if it's too strong it washes You're out not the shroud find any of the details yep it's really like exposing a, a you know a piece of film right a short exposure you're not going to mm-hmm. get the whole image long exposure is just going to be all light right so yeah. it has to be a particular right and it had to be the right exposure essentially yeah um all right so there was um this group called enea and i don't remember who they are or i don't even know if he said this is like uh a little round and balderdash where we have to figure out what that enea yes yes you got a quick quick guess what it is enea um but there was a physicist paoli paolo di lazaro um 
And what they did was they uh, they tested um, with a very specific wavelength of ultraviolet light. Um, and uh, the wavelengths was, were sh slightly shorter, uh, wavelengths slightly shorter than what they used would have been partially absorbed by the air. Um, they were able to produce a similar uh, image on a piece of fabric as the image of the shroud. But the image, the wavelength that they used to produce the image would have been, um, it was too high of a wavelength. Uh, a wavelength that was slightly shorter than what these scientists used would have been partially absorbed by the air, which is actually what you want. You want the wavelength to be partially absorbed by the air so that it can, some of it can make it mm -hmm. to the spot and some of it cannot, right? Um, okay. So they couldn't try a wavelength any shorter than what they did in this experiment because there's no commercially available source that makes wavelengths like that of ultraviolet radiation. So they couldn't actually dial it in. Um, so uh, they were using a wavelength between, um, one, uh, between 200 and 150 nanometers. Or no, no, they they were using wavelength. Sorry, they were using wavelength at 193 nanometers. You got that, Jason? So um, 1.21 gigawatts. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, 193 nanometers. Now, at a wavelength of 120 nanometers, which they couldn't get to. Remember, they didn't have they don't have the source for radiation at that wavelength. But at a wavelength of 120 nanometers, uh, it's absorbed by the air after only 0.1 millimeters which is too quick because the it wouldn't get to the cloth then from the body hmm. right um the wavelength um somewhere between 120 and 186 uh which is where the potential absorption of the radiation by the air between the body and the cloth uh, that would generate the distance coding of the image and also uh, the extinction distance of the image at around four centimeters which means that it would stop you know and not wash out the whole cloth so they figured out that the wavelength has to be between 120 and 186 nanometers now he so he's saying this in the book because he's like saying hey science like let's find a way to make uv radiation at this wavelength and see if we can generate an image like the shroud you know because he thinks that's that's what it is um so then uh he's also stating uh, that the image <laughs> didn't go uh through the top there's no image on the on the top of the shroud where it was hanging over the head of the individual um and the image is sh really projected forward and backward right it's not mm -hmm. projected to the side uh if it was I mean, there was no shroud on the side right so or maybe that was outside of that that um it was you know the directionality of it was because of the cloth being close but there was nothing on the head um part of the cloth so uh, he says the long axis of the body must have been aligned with the Earth's gravitational field. Um, if the left-right axis of the body had also been aligned with the horizontal component of the Earth's magnetic field, then the front-back or anterior-posterior axis of the body would have been aligned in the east-west axis, right? So he's saying um, the... Uh, the forward and back would have been facing um, east, essentially, right? 
Uh, this alignment of the body with the prevailing ambient force vectors might have been the start of the process of reducing the enforcedness of the space occupied in the body. So he's suggesting that it somehow the body getting into this right alignment mm-hmm. within the magnetic field of the earth could have potentially play a role. Um, then uh, he starts talking about a Bose-Einstein condensate. You ever heard of that? No. <laughs> well, no. you want to know about it? <laughs> anyway, I'll be quick. But the Bose-Einstein condensate is uh, if you take um, you know, the subatomic particles and you uh, bring them down in temperature close to zero Kelvin, which is the absolute temperature uh, scale. If you bring them down close to zero in that, they actually amalgamate into one quantum entity that becomes much it's larger but it is one entity there's no smaller pieces mm-hmm. so it's like it's just one thing right it's it's a oneness essentially because we're made up of a bunch of different stuff but this Bose-Einstein condensate is when it all comes together as one thing now it mostly happens at really really super low temperatures but there are uh, there's intriguing evidence suggesting that the existence of similar quantum coherence within biological structures. So he's saying there's they're starting to find where things that are similar to a Bose-Einstein condensate, not exactly that, but similar to it, where this amalgamation comes together as one quantum thing, can actually happen at biological levels, meaning in regular temperatures. Right. So. Here's his big theory based on all of that. And I think this is where I will, yes, this is where I will leave it. Um, (laughs) Because uh, then he's going to get into quantum tunneling, but I don't need to worry about that right now. (laughs) (laughs) There were two prevailing forces. No, this is just his theory, by the way. This is nothing, um, he's not saying this is for sure. But based on kind of where he's getting this, so he says, there were two prevailing force vectors acting on the shrouded man's body in the up-down uh, which is gravity and the north south which is earth's magnetic field directions mm-hmm. right and perhaps these were reduced to some extent by the changes that were happening to his body which w- left one remaining axial direction east west right to affect a 360 degree reduction in what we might call the tension of space around his body in all directions so uh that the unenforcedness right so all of the all of the laws of physics as we understand them were unenforced right by his peace you know we say peace mm-hmm. but connection to the to the oneness perhaps then the energy resulting from the undoing of some of the tension implicit in the frozen light that made his atoms might then have been released in that direction the east west direction which was the only direction left because gravity was working north south mm-hmm. and electromagnetism from the earth was working north south or uh, I said gravity was working up down right? right the gravitational field of the earth was working north south this mm-hmm. person in the shroud was facing east right so east and west uh is, is when this release of of energy that was binding the frozen light mm-hmm. happened it went in those directions and poof, this was just right because it was at 100 and between 120 and 186 nanometers mm-hmm. of ultraviolet radiation was released and really he's what he's saying is this is all in line with with physics and our understanding uh if we start to understand consciousness and and the quantum field and how they relate and then what matter is because of that 
Um, and it's, it's no strange thing that this same person is also reported to have been transfigured in front of other people, Mm -hmm. right? That there was a transfiguration of, uh, you know, that there was this, all of a sudden this shining white light and something happened, right? So what if this is a capturing of the transfiguration of another transfiguration that wasn't, um, you know, talked about in the, in the Bible. So, Mm -hmm. uh, just fascinating stuff. And we know that, you know, when things move from one state of, you know, matter to energy or vice versa, there's a massive transfer of energy that happens. So if the unbinding of all of these forces happen in this moment, it's a release of energy, Mm. you know, which boom, it just makes, it's an explosion, which we know how that works just in regular physics. So, right. So there you go. That was uh, a whole bucket full of stuff I just dumped out as fast as I could. So, uh, and it was only two chapters. I thought I was going to have like, <laughs> I thought it was going to be so short. It's always like so, so much. And yeah, so that's a interesting. Like, uh, you should yeah. talk to your therapist about that. I know. <laughs> well, no Why do I think things will be short? <laughs> <laughs> Happens every time I talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop talking now, and we're going to let Jason talk for the rest of the episode. So there you go. Thanks for listening to uh, the Music of the Spheres podcast. That was the end of our presentation for episode 51. Stick around and listen to what Jason thinks of that. He'll help help us all make sense of it, I'm sure. We'll be right back. segment three as i respond to jordan's uh, this is the third installment yes, part three part three part three and we got one one left we're going to see what the implications of all this are okay in our final episode all right i guess where i wanted to start was um i mean go i guess going back to the miracle side of things where you began with Lila um, kind of asking not not asking a question but the idea that it's rare enough that it is not experienced very often or by many people mm-hmm. um, but doesn't mean it doesn't happen or exist right. I mean we're kind of in a, a season of that right now with um, maybe thinking about how these things happen that we would call miracles. Um, but then how they evolve into influencing people. Yeah. Um, right. I was, I've been watching Christmas movies. So, okay. um, 
I mean, there's like a lot of Santa Claus stuff going on, right? I was just going to see if you're going to do a little Jimmy Stewart impression for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only I could do it justice. I don't even, I don't even want to like pretend to do it and sound so horrible. But Jim Carrey does a really funny impression yeah? of Jimmy yeah. Stewart. So I recommend that. Um, Right in one of the movies, I, I think it's the Santa. It's called the Santa Claus. He, the kid, asks, is that with Tim Allen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His son asks, or you know, I don't know if he's asking somebody. He's like, um, you know, just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist or that yeah. it isn't real, right? And he's talking of Santa Claus, but he also says like, "Have you ever seen a million dollars?" And he's mm-hmm. like, "No." Mm-hmm. He's like, "Doesn't that doesn't mean that doesn't exist?" Um, but then if you like think of um, uh, more of what we would describe as a miracle, like the feeding of the four or 5,000, um, I think it's, uh, it's in John's version maybe where they have them sit in smaller groups or mm-hmm. something, um, where it's more reasonable to think like, oh, if this boy was willing to kind of share what he had maybe other people saw it and in their smaller groups they they then started to share mm-hmm. so the miracle maybe was you know all this stuff just appearing or maybe the miracle was people sharing mm-hmm. um and the same for like santa claus i mean maybe you know there was a saint nicholas right there was a, a december 6th saint nicholas day where there's oranges left in shoes and whatnot you know when you wake yeah. up we got our oranges in our beer today yeah that's right it's our <laughs> own little version of saint nicholas day um but uh you know i guess historically that figure known as a generous um giving sort of character right and maybe the miracle part of the miracle of like christmas is that that idea could spread mm-hmm. um similar to maybe like the feeding of the five thousand. if you if you look at it from that particular point of view with people being willing to share mm-hmm. and that's how all this food appeared that's right. how all this generosity appears this time of year mm-hmm. um that kind of thing um so i also thought of uh some pop culture as well of course <laughs> Um, I just got to pull it up here. Um, Queen wrote a song called Miracle. <coughs> the Miracle. <laughs> okay. Um, <coughs> and, uh, you know, they say... Uh, um, let's see. They say, let's see. No, they say... Uh, you know, the one thing we're all waiting for is peace on earth mm-hmm. and an end to war. Yeah. It's a miracle we need, the miracle. Um, right? If every prisoner could be free, lived in social harmony. Um, uh, they say, where's the... Um, Oh, nice. We got the, uh, there's the official lyric video and then there's, uh, <laughs> right. The official video, the, uh, the miracle, the official video, the remastered one. Um, right. Um, 
with all the flood and famine solved, we come together just for love. That's a miracle. If all dictators take a stand to fight for love throughout the land, it's a miracle. Um, kind of taking that I, I don't know, that idea of like the the communal aspect of right. miracle that I think was sort of woven into what you were saying there. Yeah. Um, right. Well, I mean, I, it was based in, and you know, I, I, I admitted in a break to you, Jason, that it was, you know, fairly thick because I had to get, right. I felt like I had to lay that, that first chapter. I really wanted to get to the stuff about the shroud, you know, yeah, yeah. cause we're, we're talking mostly about that, but he's laying so much groundwork with the understanding of consciousness as, as what, is the avenue for the possibility mm-hmm. of all of that. So I had to get into that. And what he, what he was really saying over and over again about the idea of consciousness being the instigator of the Big Bang. Essentially, he said consciousness created the Big Bang because in the place of no thingness, meaning no time, space, matter, but mm-hmm. this, we're definitely all our individual selves there still. We're just not things yet. Right. You know, or not yet. There's there's no yet in that, right? Mm-hmm. There was this desire to experience separation and limit. Because if you exist, you know, limitlessly, uh-huh. you'd like to experience maybe what it's like to not, you know? <laughs> right, right. I, as I was reading this, I kept thinking about like a, like a bag of M&Ms, you know? Like pick your favorite kind, you know, like the peanut M&Ms or uh-huh. the... You know, the regular ones, you get the peanut butter, so those are my favorites, but I don't, I, I don't <laughs> eat them very indulgent. much. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, there is one thing that, like, links them all together. They're all M&Ms of the same variety in a bag, but they're all still an individual, you know, candy mm-hmm. on its own. But together, they're all M&Ms, you know? Okay. And it... So there's this unifying character, especially if they're in a bag together. You know, it's like we're in this bag together, but we're all one. Like we're one bag. Right. You know, we're just the universe is just a big bag of M and M's. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> but really, like that's that's kind of what I got. It's like instead of just being one big candy, let's try being individual candies. <laughs> you know, okay. like now they're we're poppable. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, but that's kind of you know. Yes, and, you know, you talk about a song like, you know, The Miracle by Queen, and then, you know, sort of, uh, why is so much stuff focused on the idea of love, right? Because love is that ultimate expression of of value and seeing mm-hmm. the conscious observer in another individual. Like, if I see you and I think you're just an AI, you know, Android, yeah. Yeah. then I'm going to just you know, treat you like any other piece of technology that I might have around. But right. I don't see you as that. You, to me, not only are you my brother, so there's that special meaning, but you are, I see when when I look at you, the conscious observer behind your eyes. And I see you as mm-hmm. a thinking, feeling, experiencing individual, not just matter and stuff, right. you know? And that's, to me, that's love. When you, you know, when you value somebody at that level and say, I see... I see your observerness, mm-hmm. then I then then that to me is that's love, and that's why there's all different kinds of it because you can love people in different ways. But I think the root of that is, you know, seeing that observer nature. There's some sort of right. life about you, you know. Yeah, which is why you love your dog or your cat or your 
garden plants or whatever. You know, there's that <laughs> right, that right. element of, you know, maybe they're not. I don't know. I don't know if they have consciousness in the way we do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm no. jacking your thing. And I said I was going to let you talk this whole segment. And yeah, and go. I said I'll believe it when I hear it. I said that <laughs> off air. Um, but you were talking about, um, I, I wrote down root map of empathy. Um, that was near the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I know where that, that is. Um, but did you know that there's this, uh, <laughs> uh, there's this thing that I guess has been um, used for... Uh, I guess businesses or organizations to sort of understand their clients or their customers is that they're calling an empathy map. No, we didn't know that. Okay. Um, well, yeah. So the quote that you're talking about is um, the existence of empathy perhaps is a clue to the root map for undoing this separation between subject and object. Hmm. Okay. So it's how you, yeah, it's how, how we understand the, it's the route to get back to oneness is empathy. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, th- this is kind of a simple map and I don't know if it would work. Like if you were to do it thinking about your, your brewery customers, mm-hmm. right. Or, or even the church members, which another question I had was, I wonder how much of your time during a week is spent like thinking about those groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you actually like, <laughs> like clocked it out one week, I wonder yeah. what it would be. Yeah. Um, I don't want to know. <laughs> but I mean, in the, in a way that's, that's what empathy map, uh, that's what you're doing, right? It's kind of this simple little, mm-hmm. you have the customer or the church member or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of, put around them what you think they're mm-hmm. saying or thinking or doing or feeling say think feel and do yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then you kind of in in that way you map out how they feel and then by doing that you can understand them better <laughs> right i guess yeah. um or you can understand that you don't have to think about them as much as you do <laughs> yeah <laughs> or, <laughs> Or uh, whatever it is, you know, right. that you're trying right. to be freed from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that just kind of came to mind uh, as well. What percentage of time in a week do you think about these people? Are you asking me? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, a lot. I mean, <laughs> that's my job in both places is to think about what the people are thinking and feeling and doing and saying. <laughs> you know? It's like I know, right? It's like yeah. inescapable. Yeah. It's not like, I mean, if my... If my job, like if I used to like just being when I was the brewer, it was just my job was to make the beer and keep the quality up and, you know, cost down and make good beer efficiently. You know? mm-hmm. And some of that is listening a little bit, like what do the customers want? But for the most part, it's like, as long as they're saying, brew it, they will come. This is quality and not, nothing's wrong with it. It may not be the style I wanted or whatever, but right. Yeah, but now, no, being that I'm in the sales side with the wholesale market, you know, I think constantly about, you know, mm-hmm. what everybody's, you know, how our brand is performing, what the, I, I, I mostly think about, it's funny, so that's a good question, because I, I mostly think about how buyers at accounts feel about our brand. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that's the root of all the other things 
you know, that mm-hmm. how they how they feel about it, right? Which is I try to get behind all of the active things, the saying, thinking, and doing, mm-hmm. and try to get down to that level of you know at their the observer behind the eyes, right? Mm-hmm. What's the conscious observer of that buyer? What do they? What is their experience of of our brand? And can I influence that? You know, mm-hmm. which is why I'm spending this upcoming tomorrow and Tuesday and maybe Wednesday afternoon writing out Christmas cards for oh, yeah. all of our best. I think I have 102 accounts that I'm going to try to hand deliver a Christmas card to. Yeah. Because I know if they see me walk in with just a card, it's just got, you know, a couple beer tokens. Hey, thanks for, you know come and come and try out a beer sample at our place whatever Mm -hmm. like that will influence their observation at that core level you know right not on the you know not on the surface level where you know just to try to influence all that other stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah well and and so like i mean i guess i would argue your your vocations and probably a a lot of the listeners too I, i think you could i mean you could probably just sort of uh, you know, as meaning makers, we could probably do that just with anything, but like there's, uh, sort of a natural avenue for you to, you know, find your way into that, uh, that like oneness of self that we were also talking about, right. Where it's like, um, you, uh, so much of your life is lived for others that that is the true wholeness right. or the true peace. Right? Yeah. Or, yeah. He said that. And that one was hard for me at first. Cause, um, yeah. Uh, I wonder if I can find that real quick. Um, uh, yeah. The man whose image we see on the shroud came close enough to the primal state of union that I referred to from which all potentiality springs that he was also able to bring life to inanimate matter. That was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was another one. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I have suggested that it is the reduction in power of the unforcedness, unenforcedness or peace within us, uh, that is responsible for our existence with physicality and un- ultimately for the physical universe itself. Um, if this is so, then it would make sense that if someone lives a life that consistently unites with others through compassion and recognition of the fundamental union of all sentient beings, then force could be reduced in the location in which that person's will predominates, i.e. their physical body. Hmm. Yeah. So force could be reduced, which is peace according to him reduction in power of the unenforcedness right yeah 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 so i guess it's just kind of an interesting sort of lens to in which to view vocation yeah i guess or i mean other other parts of life too but often we see it as like you know i do this job i gotta get it done yeah i just realized i read that wrong (laughs) and i said i read it and said it wrong Oh. I'm just looking at this again. I have suggested that it is the reduction in power of the unenforcedness or peace within us that is responsible for our existence within physicality and ultimately for the physical universe itself. So he's saying that 
the state of unenforcedness or peace, the ultimate unity peace is the original state. And that there's a power that acts upon us, the four forces of nature, right? Those, all those forces act upon us and it reduces, it reduces the power of our peace. So our peace is the ultimate power, our peace mm. in our consciousness, okay. the ultimate power. And then, you know, in the physical limitations of this world were reduced, you know? And so if you can counteract that power, that's what he's talking about. Right? Okay. Those four forces, that's the, that's the electromagnetic. Yep. Uh, gravity. Yeah. And then the, yeah. The nuclear forces, the weak nuclear and strong. Forces. Let's just remember the weak and strong. And those are the of physics forces of nature. nature? The four oh, okay. natural forces of nature. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think like all all interactions uh, in, of material, all material interactions mm-hmm. can be um, described with those four forces. Uh, I I wrote some uh, some connections down there because like there's those four forces yeah. right which have come up now a couple times in this book um but it seems to be like it also seems to be a pattern in how the world has been um or how the structure has uh developed mm-hmm. i guess right um cuz you also think about like four points on a compass mm-hmm which is now used um again sort of like thinking about our connection to people like there are quizzes now or even like uh activities that you know uh companies or whatever use at a retreat mm-hmm. or a conference to figure out if you're a north south east or west sort of right right personality yeah. right yeah, yeah. i've have an example here uh, yeah of um Let's see. Uh, right. And then while you're looking for that, I mean, the four elements, right? Yep. I no, right, yep, Were right. you going to say that too? Yep. Like, you know, earth, wind, water, fire, right? Um, yeah. You've got the, the personality compass, mm-hmm. you say. Uh, yeah. And, you know, interestingly, in numerology too, I don't know if you knew that, in numerology, because I did a study on numerology for, uh, for one of our seminary classes. Okay. We're studying the book of Revelation, and so I chose to study the numerology that's present in the book of Revelation. And when I did that, I realized, you know, the major significance in numerology of the number four is the material world. That's because of the points on the compass, the four elements, and now there's these four forces, right? That science has discovered. And I was like, all right, well, (laughs) that's cool. Yeah, this this one exam uh, or little activity a group could do would say like if you are an individual focused on goals confident decisive independent um checking off tasks uh go north Mm -hmm. you know um if you um meet team players check in with everybody's vision and uh, feelings before getting started uh your inclusivity would say you're uh uh, south right um people who thrive on well-laid plans approach uh with logic organization uh like a bird's eye view um consider the outcome of a project in its totality east is where you would go and then uh 
driven more by creativity, vision, and enthusiasm uh, other than quick action and originality uh, <laughs> west. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, it's simplified, but it would help people sort of like determine uh, uh you know what what the other people in the office how they tick and yeah how you can be more empathetic maybe yeah um, that kind of idea but it's funny that like um now we're we're as a human race sort of like trying to give these mm-hmm. compass directions uh yeah. or so like personifying them giving them <laughs> like attributes to <laughs> to yeah. describe how we exist um within them it's kind of funny um and yeah the the four um the four elements there's uh trying to find um find yourself a map to your soul (laughs) uh you know we're made of fire earth air and water Mm -hmm. the four elements right um uh, think of a time when you felt the most grounded and centered, right? Mm-hmm. That would describe earth, most um, mental clarity. That would describe air, open-hearted. Mm-hmm. Describe water, most creative. They, they would consider fire. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things. Um, let's see. Uh, there's something interesting that they said here. Um Oh, yeah, when you take just one gulp of clean, fresh mountain air, in that moment, that's enough. <laughs> when you stand in a gorgeous field looking at magnificent redwood trees, seeing that bounty of earth is enough. When you're near a beautiful fire, whether it's outdoors camping or indoors, keeping you cozy, staring at the magic of that fire is enough. Um, when you're enjoying an exquisite bath or shower or dipping in the ocean or a pool and feeling cleansed and renewed and open that is enough no i thought you were going to say when you're drinking a genesee specialty citrus <laughs> pills that is enough that is enough <laughs> yeah. um you know it says something about uh, um how we have reliance on these elements daily right uh we can't go without air for like more than three minutes mm-hmm. uh more than half of us are ourselves just made of yeah. water that kind of thing yeah yeah um, and so, I mean, I, I know it kind of sort of simplifies a little bit about what he's saying, but these, there's like, I, you know, it, Christianity has all those numbers that are symbolic and yeah. help us find meaning and find connection with others. You know, 40 is a number that comes to mind, 12, yeah. uh, three, right. All these things mm-hmm. to kind of connect us not only to the stories and to what the stories meant, um, as far as spirituality and faith, but um, how we sort of connect with others, yeah. find ourselves within the stories um, and empathize and uh, know uh, now how we can take part in it. So it, it's kind of cool to think of how we can um, we can think more deeply about the, the four uh, elements, the four compass uh, cardinal directions, the yeah. four forces, right? Right. All these things sort of yeah. interacting with us and, and kind of, I guess too, like how 
we don't really they're not really things we notice or um dwell on often or maybe take for granted mm-hmm. right um it doesn't mean that their existence in our lives is um can be deeply meaningful or that there's even something more special about them mm-hmm. uh which kind of gets to his point about um the rarity of of what happened perhaps with, mm-hmm. with the shroud right and just uh if we can be a little like we talk about a lot like if we can be a little more open to mm-hmm. the mystical or the forces that are sort of beyond our everyday sight and sound yeah, yeah. um then we can be attuned to something really cool yeah that is not part of our everyday life i guess yeah well i think it's i mean yeah it's definitely he's saying that something like this opens you up to an understanding that there is i mean the subtitle of the book is the limitless potential of humanity right that there is this greater potential don't just deny it because Mm -hmm. you haven't seen it you know like you said in your santa claus quote you know like Right. Don't don't just you know I haven't seen it so I don't believe it you know or I I, I know it doesn't exist because I haven't seen it you know or whatever mm-hmm. right and just because it doesn't occur regularly doesn't mean that it's not within the bounds of of what can take place in our observation I guess I was curious of like what what did you what did you think because I mean I don't know how much more time we should go but um, what did you think about the you know the stuff at the end with like the the levitate i I had never mm-hmm. i'd always envisioned the shroud of turin thing being a body laying down even until i got to this chapter in right. this book you know yeah i mean i would i would say <laughs> probably most of us would that's just kind of like the yeah. natural image we have of like even you know even if it we're not thinking of christ we're thinking of like how kings are buried or right right in the yeah in the pyramids like the right you're laying down in a tomb kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't... So, I thought that was... I don't know how that hit you when I explained it or if I explained it well, but that and then the whole, like, directionality thing of, like, mm-hmm. the, you know... Um, it's Those are, those are two aspects that I never... Because as soon as, like, I started reading this, I was like, I want to know how it happened. I want to know, right. like... I want to, like, see the scene in my mind, uh-huh. you know? Like, and, and what was the... You know what was the end result right you know well for like, me the uh, uh when you mentioned the transfiguration right that kind of like sparked a little bit of a of a different kind of image right like mm-hmm. we just kind of or i just have kind of imagined that to be like a levitating sort of mm-hmm. moment with a burst of light yeah right and yeah. and then and then it's it's done and over with in like a couple seconds yeah but something uh, profound happened yeah. in that blink of an eye. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know. It was kind of like a nice a nice way to sort of see the shroud differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and doesn't it also like I don't know it, this description of the of what can happen to matter mm-hmm. and energy doesn't it help? Like, so like how many people? the percentages of people that believe in ghosts, right? It's like so many people believe in ghosts. Right. I think more more people believe in ghosts than believe in like, you know, 
religions, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or you know, God of of some sort, right? Like yeah. it's it's amazing. Like, and and most of the time, people say, well, you know, like the stock thing is, oh, ghosts don't exist, but more people believe in them than you know than people believe in like uh-huh. most things, you know. Yeah, uh, and so wouldn't this help explain that a little bit? You sure. know that that matter and energy. Like, why would a ghost then look like? Like you could say a ghost is just a spiritual presence, mm-hmm. but then why do people see a ghost that looks like someone? Right? right, that's the part that always is confusing to me about ghosts. Is like if a spirit is around and it's just a spiritual, you know, aspect of something, you could feel it or interact with it in some way. But when you actually see a physical apparition of some sort, right. oh my god, that's that's a ghost! Oh, look at that; it looks like blah blah blah, whoever you know, and and it, maybe this is an explanation of that, you know, which. Mm-hmm. Because I've wondered, like, what did this lead to? If this, you know, story of the shroud, he claims in the book, it's like that. This is a, this is a essentially a, a piece of material that captured a resurrection event. He's saying, mm-hmm. you know, so if if you believe that, and if that happened, and people that follow, you know, the Christ story, you know, believe that he was around for forty days after, you know, he. He was resurrected. That's the time between Easter and Pentecost in the church year, you know, and that after that he ascended, right? Right, right. And there's stories all throughout, you know, spiritualist history of ascended masters, you know, that just reach this level of existence and then ascend, right? So uh, was this Jesus that appeared post-resurrection, you know, Mm -hmm. this more spiritualized, like transfigured Jesus that poofed himself into energy you know <laughs> right, underneath right. the shroud and we like the shroud caught it like is that what it was or or you know or did it was it more bodily that this was like a reinjection of energy into the physical body and it poofed out the shroud or i'm just trying to figure out how the shroud got poofed out but yeah and and then what that implied about you know what happened afterward right yeah who is it that they saw but anyway i was just wondering like how that how that part of the story hit you and what that you know well i actually thought of um uh it's probably not a surprise but i, th- I thought of a song oh i thought um, you were gonna say an episode of fringe oh. <laughs> <laughs> well i do always think of episodes of fringe um there was there was the one where the the guy uh had to wear like these weighted boots because all he was doing was like levitating. <laughs> um, isn't that like that scene in Mary Poppins when they're all like in Mary Poppins? Yeah, isn't it Mary Poppins? I don't know. I've never actually seen all of Mary Poppins. Not the even the original one. The no, only one? I I don't think I've actually seen it really. Oh, there's the one where they keep like they they can't stop floating in in the room. Oh, you know, and they're, like they're trying to have lunch or whatever and tea, <laughs> and the table just keeps floating up into the sky. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. That sounds pretty trippy. <laughs> That's a pretty trippy movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was a Bruce Hornsby song. Oh, okay. Called Levitate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you heard that song? Yes, I have. I have. Um, but it, it popped in my mind um, not only because of Levitate, but it also, like, at least his description of it is like, the euphoric feeling of when like children find a a gift or like mm-hmm. excel at something yeah or like, when or when luna sees you oh my gosh yeah it's love like, it. she loves yeah, you so she much. like floats on air <laughs> yeah i've never i don't know what it is yeah yeah, yeah. 
just must be <laughs> we're connected yeah on a deeper level yeah yeah, yeah. she she sees your the oneness behind your eyes right if Jason. i were to sing to her some bruce hornsby are you gonna sing on the podcast right now no should i, mean, I get out the guitar <laughs> <laughs> but uh she might say well this thing is great my excitement will not abate mm-hmm. uh, i will act and not hesitate listen all you can relate yeah um obviously all those words rhyme with levitate, levitate. there you go <laughs> um but like he says you know uh gather around the schoolyard gate history will record this date feel the shifting tectonic plates you can get it even if you're uh even if you're straight allow me to illustrate how we humbly will create uh time for the shake and bake get up little children levitate Nice. He, I think he's like specifically talking about like basketball. <laughs> oh, Funnily okay. enough, for like a, yeah. a white guy, but but he kind of describes it as like that yeah. that euphoric yeah. feeling of when a child feels like the um, the energy around them is sort of like helping them it, like find themselves right right in the world, yeah. which is kind of a and I mean. In a roundabout way, especially if we're thinking of children, like our first uh, experience of sort of uh, this energy hitting us, right? Maybe not as much as like when it when the shroud was yeah um, uh, created the you know the marks and things like that, but um, in our own little little worlds, uh, sort of there's like something something about me that mm-hmm. uh, is just uh i didn't do anything to be good at this it's just like the universe is like saying this is this is part of you yeah it's kind of a, a cool idea yeah um, yeah but awesome so i thought about that um and then the, the last thing i i know that these are all oh and um uh he bruce hornsby said he the music for that song yeah was sort of an homage to uh a theme from shawshank redemption like a oh, musical really? theme yeah that uh the score was written by thomas newman okay um but when you think of the word redemption yeah right it's like freed from evil forces right in a nutshell i guess yeah yeah yeah. freed from force yeah yeah Un- unenforcedness yeah that's, right you know yeah yeah but that's what he said you know and our so piece our piece like the original piece right. is this thing he you could call unenforcedness when you don't have the forces of nature or any other forces that come from the forces of nature mm-hmm. where does evil forces right there's people that are so b- pretending they're so separate from everybody else that they act evilly right you know <laughs> like yeah. You're not actually that separate, bro. Stop being so <laughs> <Bro>. evil. <laughs> so I love, I, yeah, I love the full circle nature of that. Like, not only is the song using the word levitate, but he's also um, musically inspired mm-hmm. by this theme from a movie about yeah. redemption, being right. freed from evil forces. Which is, I don't know. I, Did he work in the word regurgitate? Because that rhymes too. <laughs> There's like all so many, so many good like yeah. eight words. Watch out if you've. <laughs> you know stuff your face <laughs> and then you'll flatulate and then, <laughs> then you won't levitate <laughs> or maybe you will <laughs> yeah if you flatulate yeah. or maybe if you don't flatulate yeah. you know? <laughs> 
gotta let it go that's another song <laughs> yeah <laughs> let it go shut the dough uh, don't that's... come around here no more is that that's not from frozen those are the lyrics right <laughs> <laughs> that's what i thought they were for a while um the last the last question i leave with everybody Ooh, you know, since now this, you're asking questions is a you know a book about light mm-hmm. right is what type of light are you yeah <laughs> that was kind of the yeah the uh and then there, there's all these types of lights and if you can if you can guess what kind of right it's like it's not like lights in the the visible spectrum kind of lights ultraviolet yeah and all that. it's like more everyday lights what yeah. kind of light are you yeah right are you the reflection of the one true light that pierces the darkness mm-hmm. if you are then you're the moon <laughs> you're the moonlight yeah um i'll just do one more if uh <laughs> <laughs> Do you give off a little light, but are vulnerable to winds and blow out easily? Ah. You are a candlelight. Ah, yeah. Yeah. But we can li- we can or list your this. propane stove when you're camping and trying to make coffee on a windy propane morning. Propane stove is that on here? <laughs> <laughs> a flare is on here. Uh, yeah. You shine That's to great. direct others into a safe harbor mm, for mm-hmm. all of you mm-hmm. sailors out there. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Lighthouse, beautiful. Um, yeah, th- so that reminds. There was a whole part that I skipped, which is why people should buy this book. It again, yeah. it, we've been talking about Dr. Andrew Silverman's a book called "A Burst of Conscious Light: Near Death Experiences, The Shroud of Turin, and the Limitless Potential of Humanity." Uh, put out by Park Street Press. I got my copy from InnerTraditions.com. Uh, I skipped a, and this is why people should buy it because I'm not talking about the whole thing. I skipped a whole section where he he asked the question, uh, why, <laughs> why would we choose hmm. this limitless, this limited existence if we're in this you know this limitless you know oneness unity no thingness place? Why would we choose this whole thing? <clears throat> right. Yeah. And the and he says essentially it's to figure out light and dark and shadow and you know how our hmm. how how we connect to the light and how that works with you know oh, limitation which which you know limitation is essentially a constriction of the light which is the darkness right the four you could see this say the four forces are like the darkness that mm-hmm. holds back the light right and it's to exist in that space it's like to go into that you know and like feel it out and, yeah. and exist in that you know i mean like how many times have you know like wasn't there like some um what was it that that school bus like kids show magic uh, school bus yeah yeah didn't they like shrink down and like go inside the human body was that that show um or it was like maybe an episode on there or something like that i just remember the school bus was like a spaceship oh okay i remember them flying around space oh i thought they shrunk down and like went and investigated things on a microscopic level or something like that. Or maybe I'm thinking of something else. Yeah, maybe they did that. Right. But there's, I know there's like shows. Yeah, like Bill Nye did that. Yeah, yeah. They shrink you down and then you go inside a human body and you figure out how like your stomach works or whatever. You right. Know? But then you're like, oh no, bile's going to dissolve me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, but, but anyway, like we think about that as human beings. Like what, what, would it, what would it be like to like shrink down and go and be like some of ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's what this is more this reality is more like like what would it be like to go and exist on a on a limited plane and and you know come outside of the oneness for a little while yeah and go and work out and that's what he said you know that's why he said like there's people that are 
different stages of connectedness to the light all in all throughout the world. Like right. Some people are a little bit more in tune with it. Some people are totally not. And that's where mm-hmm. you get people that are, you know, that, that do the you know, horrific acts that we see, you know, all the time, way, way too much of it. But, you know, so it's like another, it's, it, it's a great answer to the question of why do bad things happen? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a, that's a whole section I didn't get into. So they talked about that, which reminded me what you said. All right. All right. Well, that's all we got. And we've, we made a long one tonight. All right. <laughs> how it goes. And we're putting out lots of content. Spotify is counting every hour. Yeah. <laughs> Put out that's every right. minute. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So thanks for listening to us on Spotify. Those of you who are doing so, uh, if you're listening to us elsewhere, um, however you do on that platform, just leave us a, a review or a rating or something like that. That helps to uh, improve those numbers that will help more people to hear what we're talking about. Please interact with the show, whether it's on social media. Uh, Jason's going to take a picture of this cute little blue can with the uh, barbershop quartet singing uh, Carney on it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> put that out on social media. Uh, and if you want to share any ideas with us, uh, we'll read your stuff on the show. So send us an email, brothers at Music of the Spheres podcast. Um, just, but mostly just tell people about the show. Get them, get them on board that way. And I guess that's all we got for episode number 51. So from the deepest parts of our beings, we thank you for being a part of our universe here on the Music of the Spheres podcast. Have a great week. flat when you lay posterior does not get smushed if you're standing yes exactly (laughs) so it's not a flat butt it's it's round well we've got a nice title for this episode (laughs) the butt was not flat but was round the butt